we be live. <laughs> uh, we're going to be discussing the news. We have 10 news items like every week. Mm -hmm. um, we had Rivko with her with us here just a second ago, and her connection just went down right as we went live. So once she makes her connections, once she's connection, her connection is better, we'll bring her back up, okay? Uh, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter. Again, oh, our yes. blasphemous art is gorgeous. We have the sexiest, juiciest, beautiful. Like we make Muhammad, Jesus, Mother Mary, Hindu gods and goddesses. We just reimagine them in the most sexiest, glorious, beautiful way. And we make it available to our, our newsletter subscribers for free. So if you're subscribed to our newsletter, you will get, you're getting those. We also have comics all, uh, that we're sending out for free to our newsletter subscribers. Link in the description. Subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, get on that. Anyways, um, we I see everybody in the live chat. Make sure you keep posting and commenting. Um, and we'll try to highlight your comments as we discuss the news. Can we clap for the first news, Susanna? Um, it is something we would both vehemently oppose, but let us clap because it is the first news, and I'm excited. Okay, no, the rule is if it's not a tragedy. We can clap. I feel like it's a little bit of a tragedy, but I did anyone die? No. First news. <laughs> First news. United Nations elects Iran to commission on women's rights this week. And um, how the hell did this happen? <laughs> um, on April twentieth. The United Nations elected Iran to a four-year term on its Committee on the Status of Women. The UN Watch is calling on U.S. Ambassador Linda Thomas uh, Greenfield and its EU states, uh, no, and the EU states, to condemn the UN's decision. Though the ballot was secret, UN Watch has determined that at least four of the fifteen EU and Western group democracies on the ECOSOC voted for in favor of Iran. UN Watch asked lawmakers to demand that their governments reveal how they voted. Iranian women's rights activist Masih Alinejad stated via Twitter that electing Iran to advocate for women's rights is, quote, surreal. She went on to elaborate on the fact that Iran is a country that treats women as second-class citizens. According to the UN, Iran will play an instrumental role in promoting women's rights and documenting the reality of women's lives throughout the world. The UN's decision to elect Iran sparked outrage among human rights activists. Uh, Hilal Noor, executive director of UN Watch, compared electing Iran uh, ab for advocating women's rights with making an arsonist into the town fire chief. Is there any... Let's try to be... I know it's hard, okay? Let's try to do a steel man or devil's advocate or whatever you want to call it. Have they given us any reason for why, um, to why did they have done this? Like, is there any argument in their favor? I know it's a dumb question, but let's just ask it anyways. Have they provided, Susanna? Uh, I can't think of any good reasons. 
All right, let me try. Let me try. Okay. Um, maybe it's kind of like me an encouragement that you don't deserve this, but maybe if you give highlight you, you get your act together. How about that? Like, I'm really trying to be charitable here, okay? I know they they don't deserve this level of charitability. I'm just trying to come up with the best excuse possible. Maybe, like, you guys suck at this, at women rights, but maybe if we put you in the front seat and everyone is looking at you, then maybe that's going to... I'm not saying it's going to work. I'm just trying to come up with the least dumb ex explanation possible is that a is that a response is that an excuse that's kind of what i was thinking mm -hmm. um uh like oh almost a participation trophy um <laughs> goddess katie is saying this is the un's version of quote he will become responsible once he gets married and becomes a father <laughs> <laughs> Katie, that's a very good way of putting it. Yeah, Rivka. Rivka, um, let me unmute oh, her. I okay, I don't know if we talked about this or not because my internet. But did you see all the? Did you discuss the countries that actually voted for Iran? One of them was the United States. Armin, you're muted. Wasn't it anonymous? UN Watch has determined that at least four of the 15 EU and Western group democracies, which include, ah, uh, okay, sorry, I take no. it back. Yeah, it's anonymous. Four out of those 15, okay? Yeah. And it, okay, but UN Watch is calling on lawmakers to demand their governments reveal how they voted. Yeah, this is the big, uh, big part of the news is like people are like, okay, 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 who voted for this? And the problem is that you can't hold any of these countries responsible because we just know, like, we just know how many people vote, how, how many countries voted to accept this, but no, we don't know which countries, right? So it's really hard to go and say, like, oh, United States, oh, UK, like, why did you do this? Because the vote was anonymous. And you, UN Watch is like, you guys have, you guys have to, which countries were special enough? To <laughs> to come to vote for this, we need to know. Like we really need to know who voted for this. So, so well, you and much is demanding transparency here. Apparently, when they had the secret ballot in two thousand, they're all secret ballot, but two thousand seventeen, uh, and the UN uh, Women's Rights Commission um, and Saudi Arabia, uh, the Belgians admitted that they voted for Saudi Arabia. And the apparently some of this happened. They found it out because the Belgians revealed it to the Saudis. Like, hey guys, we voted for you. you oh, this is back when. Okay, so that was a separate vote because Rivka, right. some people might just let me let me finish. Some people might not know what you're referring to. Uh, UN did UN like does ridiculous things like this. They have a history of this because they also a couple of years ago put Saudi Arabia at the head of. The Human Rights um, Council, right in the UN. So Saudi Arabia for the head of human rights and Iran for women's rights. Amazing, amazing. But well, maybe, maybe, maybe the United Nations is like tr trolling the world. They're like, hey, you guys thought that was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Hold my beer. Let, let we could top yeah. that up. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, like, the Saudis were put on this same committee in 2017, this UN Women's Rights Commission. And the UN Watch are the people who campaign led to Belgium admitting this. So it's yeah, not just that. that they were on the human rights in general, but they were on specifically women. And so maybe the UN Watch will be able to get some to reveal it because they got the Belgians to. Uh, Susanna? Um, so it's really interesting, though. So although we don't know who has voted in favor of Iran being elected to this committee, um, the UN Watch has come out very strongly against the U.S. and the Biden administration, putting out some tweets like, um, quote, how in... Oh, so highlighting a news article. So it's highlighting this news article and says... How the United States in 2010 blocked the Iranian regime from gaining a seat on the UN uh, women's rights body and how they failed to do so in 2021. Worse, the U.S. now won't even make a simple and direct condemnation of Iran's election to the U.S. Commission on the Status of Women. And then the executive director continues. Secretary Antony Blinken, I am shocked at the U.S. change in position. In 2010, the U.S. mobilized to find a candidate that, that defeated Iran at U.N. women. In 2014, the U.S. condemned, condemned Iran's whim at uh, the United Nations uh status a uh, commission on the status of women as an outrage now you didn't even try to defeat iran and astonishingly you refuse to condemn its win in a statement below to voice of america and at the press briefing the biden administration pointedly refused to give a simple and direct condemnation of iran's election to this commission instead it's embarrassingly vague and indirect yeah, I don't think that's fair. Well, do we know if United States voted? Um, you just, just a yes or no before I continue. I just need a yes or no. Do we know if United States voted for this? I don't know. We don't know. Okay. Um, right now, United States in the middle is in the middle of negotiations with Iran when it comes to the going back to the nuclear deal. Um, and I don't know how it's going to turn out. But as of right now, United States is pressuring to make um, human rights a major part of the negotiation. I don't know if they're going to get that. I don't know if that's going to end up being part of the end, the final deal or not. But I don't think it's fair to, like, the current Biden administration is really making human rights a major part of the deal, um, trying to at least make, the, make human rights a major part of the deal. Uh, in the talk, in the negotiations that are having. And right now, the human rights is actually one of the major stumbling blocks for why the, what the deal is not going through, right? Like, eventually, it will go through, and we don't know who's going to win. I hope they don't soften on that. They might. And if they do, we, we're going to come here and, like, uh, criticize them for that. But right as of right now, because those deals are happening, you don't want to basically, if you're pressuring them over there and you're also going to pressure them over here, it might, the effect that it might have on those deals, we don't know. We don't know that this was happening in the background. So we, I don't know if it's fair with the amount of knowledge that we have right now to criticize the Biden administration. We might be able to criticize them more strongly in a couple of weeks from now. Um, 
So I don't know if it's fair to, and also we don't know how the United States voted because it was anonymous. Rivka, you want to say something? Apparently the United States forced the vote though, but they won't condemn the, uh, you know, the win, so to speak, by Iran. But the thing that is also very distressing to me is that there were 54 nation economic and um, social council, which voted by this secret ballot and Iran won 43 out of the 54 votes. That's huge. That's way more than just squeaking by. That's almost yeah. unanimous. Yeah, I don't understand, though, because, guys, I'm, I know people want to pretend that the people in the UN are idiots. You know, you, because that's because you are idiots, because you just want to go with this, because you want to just uh, go with a simple explanation and make yourself feel like you understand how world politics works. Then, like, I do want to understand why. Why? Like, this is such a slap in the face to all the women rights activists uh, in Iran and also the ones Iranian women's rights activists out of outside of Iran. Like, this is the opposite of what they want. They want more pressure. They don't want rewarding the Islamic Republic. They want they want to, you know, they, they want penalties. They want the Islamic Republic to feel pressure uh, for their for their women rights. So, but it cannot be, and it's a bad decision, but there must be something. Like, it cannot be based on nothing. Like, what was their motivation? Like, and even if we want to be charitable and say, like, maybe they're doing this just to motivate them because they're putting them at a position where everybody's going to notice them and um, put more pressure on them. And again, this is a dumb excuse, but it's the most charitable one, I guess. Um, even in that situation, like, is UN trying to lose credibility? Like, they, like, how do they not, do they not have experience with how the world reacted when they put Saudi Arabia at the head of, you know, like, human rights? Like, do they not care about their credibility? Like, even if their goals are, like, they, they did calculations and they're like, you know what, we don't care what the people say. Based on our analysis, this is the right way to move forward. Like, is your credibility and your image and how this decision is going to be perceived by the world, is that not part of your calculation? Is that, does that not matter at all? Like, does the UN's, does the UN's budget and how much each country contributes to them uh, not get affected by the way that the citizens of the contributing countries see the United Nations? Like, like have they maybe they have looked maybe they have looked at the previous years and were like oh yeah people hate us but apparently that doesn't change how much the, each government is contributing to us so maybe that's why they don't care about their image I don't understand but it can't be more it can't be like, oh they're just dumb like this is such a simplistic explanation oh yeah they're idiots like no you're an idiot if you think that's the only explanation right like because people like simple answers Rivka. So part of the issue is a lot of times when they have these votes, people run unopposed. So Iran, you know, ran unopposed. Um, this has happened before. There, there's no one to vote for instead. And I know that um, the United States brought that up. And then also, you know, if you look at some of the questions that UN Watch asked, I mean, they kept asking over and over again, did you vote? Uh, are you against them being on it? And finally, um, 
Mr. Price, who was the United States spokesperson on this, said with response to what you were saying, like, they think that the member should reflect the values underlying the commission, which would be the Human Rights Commission. So he's saying there that he believes the member should reflect those values, but that wasn't until after, you know, being asked over and over and over again. But he is saying what you said, Armin, that it should reflect that. Okay, uh, Susanna? They were still condemned very strongly because they didn't even mention Iran by name. And the, one of the reasons why the UN Watch is criticizing the US so heavily is because, yes, it does heavily depend on who runs and, you know, whose seat is contested, but that it, it's not reflective of their actions in 2010 where it was a similar situation, and they recruited candidates to oppose this appointment. And they were successful in that effort, and they got East Timor to step up and be elected instead, or, or um, stepped forward to contest that election. Because it, it, they do it regionally, so it has to be within a region. And so they have to recruit candidates within that region. And so to people like those who do work at the UN watch in their opinion, the U S did zero in comparison to the many efforts, like weeks of efforts that they made to make sure that this didn't happen in 2010. Exactly. All they did was force the vote, but it's uncontested. And they also are definitely kind of, um, I don't know if obfuscating is the right word because we don't know if they're lying, but they're definitely dancing around the question directed at them from UN Watch. Like, so do you agree or do you not agree with them being on here? Did you vote for them or did you not? And they really won't say much on that. All right, I think we should move on. Um, can we clap for the next news? No. Oh, no, next news. Okay. Next news. Two Iranians handed death sentences for insulting Muhammad. On April 22nd, the human rights uh, activist news agency reported that two Iranian men had been sentenced to death for allegedly mocking the Prophet Muhammad. They were arrested and put into prison in Iraq, the capital of Markazi province, in May 2020. One of the two men, Yusuf uh, Murdad, a uh, father of three, was reportedly held in solitary confinement for two months following his arrest. In its annual report of the death penalty published earlier this week, Amnesty International reported that at least 246 people were executed by the Iranian government in 2020 alone, making Iran one of the world's top ex executioners, second only to China. Even though rec uh, recorded executions in Iran continued to be lower than in previous years, the country has increasingly used the death penalty as a weapon against uh, political repression and dissidents, protesters, and members of ethnic minority groups. Second only to, uh, to, second only to China, only based on total numbers, right? On a per capita basis, Iran is number one when it comes to executions? Yeah. I'm assuming? Yeah, okay. Um, most of those executions are drug-related also, I think. I don't know. I think most of them are drug-related. But yeah, but is the, um, but this uh, the number you gave, how many? You mentioned a number 
About last year, how many were executed for? 246. For, it doesn't say for what, right? No, just in total. Mm. Um, yeah, that's insane. And also, I just want to remind you, as you can see in the picture, it's not just that they're death sentences, it's that they're torture kills. I, you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, for example, in the United States, um, when they kill people, I mean, I'm against the death penalty anywhere, mm -hmm. okay? But it, in Iran, the way they kill is so, I, I, don't, I don't understand. Here's how, what I'm, I can tell you, okay? Iranian death, senten death sentences are worse than Islam, okay? Let me, let me say that again, okay? You say, oh, this is bad because of Islam, okay? Actually, I can't believe it, but yeah, I mean, it's hard to imagine this, but the Islamic Republic of Iran has managed to be worse than Islam. Because in Islam, death sentences are carried out with beheading with a sword, which is an instant death, okay? For some reason, and I don't know why, maybe somebody could educate me on this, in Iran, the way death sentences are carried out is by hanging, but not the way it was being done in the wild, wild west, but it was, that was more humane because the way that they hang people, used to hang people, is they will put the rope around your neck and they will drop you so your neck breaks and you die. For some reason, and I think it's because of fear, spreading fear and dissuading people or something like that, maybe that's the reason. In Iran, they don't do that. They put the rope around your neck and they lift you. They lift you. That means that your neck doesn't break. That means you suffocate slowly. There are people who have been, um, we have reports of people who were hanged for being gay in Iran. And they, some people, like, I don't remember exactly, but some of them lasted, stayed alive up there for a, a long time. There are people who chewed out their own tongues from the pressure. They chewed it out. They ate their own tongues while hanging there. This is insane, insane. When it comes to death sentences, Iran is way worse than Saudi Arabia. Way worse than Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia does it the Islamic way, which is chop your head off, which is far less painful. I mean, it's no pain compared to the way Iran does it. So as bad as Islam is, the Islamic Republic of Iran managed to become more inhumane than Islam, which is amazing. Unbelievable. This is the, the 21st century. I don't understand how, how we allow this. I don't understand how we allow this. Um, do you guys want to add anything to this? I mean, hmm. it's obviously um, horrible. Um, I am looking for more information about these two individuals, but I'm really frustrated. I can't find a source that um, I was able to find earlier. Um, but to my knowledge, this is it's been a while since someone has been handed a death sentence for blasphemy. Um based on my familiarity, let me be clear. Um, and 
I mean, it, it's there just really isn't that much to say. It's it breaks my heart for insulting the prophet literally for something that nobody nobody is harmed by rivka so there's also all these charges against um yusef medrad uh supposedly he's spreading prop uh propaganda against the state uh insulting the founder insulting the supreme leader so there and I can't say for sure, I don't know, but it gives kind of the air of being politically motivated more so, even maybe than you know, actually insulting like that's just added on top of all these charges, you know. Um, and so it's possible that there's some political motivation because you know, opposition group or just simply speaking bad about the supreme leader um so it's possible and i know that they do use the death penalty as political re repression you know against dissidents members of ethnic minorities you know protesters so this could be part of that i i don't know there's not a whole lot of information about the other guy who according to some his name saeed and he's got a, several names after that. Too much information about him at all. Just that he was a cabinet maker before he was arrested. That's all I've been able to really find. Like nothing else about other charges or anything. But absolutely agreeing with you. I mean, I can't believe that it's the 21st century that this is happening. Uh, Marcia is saying something that I very much disagree with. It's arm and killing in the name of non-existent myth is insane, irrelevant of the means of the... Did what? I say... First of all, did I say that it's not, it's not insane if they if if it was done in a different way? Okay, did I say that? No, I did not say that, Marcia. But no, the means of death is important. If you care about people suffering, just because they're all insane, that doesn't mean you can't condemn one more than the other. Just because something is horrible, it doesn't mean that it can't get worse. Don't, stop thinking in black and white. Okay. No, it, yes, it's definitely all of them are insane for killing it. All deaths, I'm against every single death sentence, even the ones that are based on crimes that are actually harm people. But obviously, you can, well, some of them can be worse than the other. Hanging somebody and torturing them before they die is worse than beheading them. That's true. That's if you are a utilitarian, that's objectively true. Like, I don't know how you could argue with that. Oh, no, they're all equal. No, they're not all equal. Some of them are worse. Um, I Okay, so um, just a reminder, when Susanna, when is, do you, we know when they are, this is supposed to be carried out? No, I haven't been able to find that in English news. There's okay, a lot so just more to be clear, these people news. are alive right now, okay? Okay? And if you think... If you're one of those morons who think that putting pressure on Iran is not going to have an impact, then, then, then you're useless. You're useless. Get the hell out of here, okay? Because it, we have records. We have a history. We know what it does, right? So this news needs to be shared. More people need to know about this. Is there a campaign? Not that I'm aware of yet. There needs to be a campaign. Mm -hmm. uh, 
there needs to be pressure, okay? Because TikTok, I guess, these people are on death row now. And we need to use this case. This is actually the perfect time to put pressure on Iran because they are going through the, they are trying to get United States and other countries to accept the nuclear deal. We need to be like, hold up, maybe not. Wait a second. Maybe this is on purpose. I don't know. I'm just I'm just coming up with some conspiracy theories right now. I don't know. One hypothesis could be right now the hardliners in Iran don't want the deal to go through. And given that the reason why some people, um, some Western countries are saying that the deal is being held back, some, some major sticking points that is making the deal less easy to go through is Iran's human rights. Mm -hmm. Maybe the hardliners in, you just said, Susanna, that for, there hasn't been any uh, death sentences for blasphemy in Iran for a while. That okay? I'm aware of. Yeah, I, it ha there hasn't been. Sohail Arabi has been on death row for many years and he hasn't been executed, right? Well, his, his uh, death sentence was commuted. I know he went back. He it was commuted, then it was back on, and then it was removed again. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's not like this is like some people think that this is that something that happens in Iran every Tuesday. It's not. This is the, these things are not as common as you think. Okay, this is a major news in Iran. Okay, um, so um, yeah, I and mean, more most of the death sentences are drug related, not blasphemy related. So this is a major news right now. And one conspiracy theory, which I have no proof of, so don't take take it with a grain of salt, this is just a hypothesis, is this might be the hardliner's way of making the Iran's human rights record even worse so so that the people who are pressuring the United States to not go through a deal with Iran because of its poor human rights record or to make it more difficult for Iran to go through a deal with them, they're basically trying to uh, give them something to you know, the activists who are pressuring the United States not to go through a deal, maybe the hardliners are giving them something to work with. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, maybe this is, this might be a conspiracy. I, I, I don't know. Anybody, Qasem, any Iranians in the live chat want to um, have any views on this? Qasem no? had something that he was saying in Farsi. Well, speak English, guys. This is an English, oh, here. Katie thinks if I remember correctly, Iran did stop an execution due to an online campaign. Yes, and mm -hmm. an atheist republic even reported on that. Yes, both Iran. A lot of people think that uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran and Saudi Arabia's government that they don't care about their international image. You're an idiot if you think that they do care about that, and that's why public pressure does work somewhat sometimes. Sometimes, not all the time. People are like, oh, it doesn't work. Oh, online campaigns doesn't work. No, it, it sometimes works. It's very few times, but it does work sometimes. And I give it, even if it works 5% of the time or even 1% of the time, the cost associated with signing these online campaigns is like zero to you. So we might as well do it. 1% of the time saving somebody from execution for, from a, is, is, is worth the try. It's worth the try, right? Um. Anything else do you guys want to add or highlight? While uh, I the news? Not in the live chat. Not in the live chat. Okay. Any thoughts? Any thoughts on the theory and the hypothesis I had? Maybe.
Oh, here, Qasim Sayyid. We have had this topic yesterday, as Ali Rizzo said, just do, do something for these two guys. Be active. Yeah, guys, you know what? Um, share this video to get this news out. And if we, if somebody starts a campaign on this, we will add the link to that campaign at the top of the description to this video. Okay. Um, and if nobody does that, we might have to start it on our own. Like, it just that it just no, actually, no, we shouldn't. We should have like somebody because if Atheist Republic is having a campaign, it might actually hurt their cause rather than help it, right? Mm -hmm. If the brand Atheist Republic is the part of the campaign, no, 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 we're not going to start it. Like, it needs to be like a human rights organization or something. I'm surprised that no human rights organization has started a campaign on this already. They, like, somebody needs to get on this, right? And as soon as they get on it, uh, we're gonna and or, or if somebody. Yeah, maybe they're waiting for more clarification to make sure that this is not fake news or something, right? Because sometimes that happens. But if there is a campaign, um, we will get the link. We will put it at the top of this uh, description of this video. So share this video, please. <clears throat> All right. Um, are you you block somebody? Yeah. Okay. Good. All right. Do we can we clap for the next news at least? No, no, ne next news. Um, next news Kuwaiti woman killed after refusing marriage proposal. A Kuwaiti woman was recently murdered after she was refused after she refused a marriage proposal. A man in relation to the murder was arrested, but he was released on bail. The woman's identity has not been revealed to the public thus far. She had previously reported to authorities that the man had threatened her life after her family refused his marriage proposal. Months after the report, the suspect carried out the crime. He kidnapped the woman along with her children and in the process rammed his car into the victim's sister's car. The man has been identified as Fahad Subhi Muhammad by social media users. In recent months, this is the latest case of abuse being highlighted by uh, abuse against women being highlighted in the Gulf state. And they released them on bail. Yeah. Hmm. Is that normal to do that? Like when somebody has killed? Oh, I don't know. I, mean, um, I don't know how the law works. Yeah, it happens. I mean, like. Here in the United States, Kyle Rittenhouse was released on bail. He bonded out. Yeah, but that was the okay. Never mind. I'm not going to get into that. Um, yeah, don't give me that example. We're going to open a can of worms. Um, <laughs> the first thing I thought of. It yeah, it no. does happen if you can put up yeah. the money. I don't know what the percentage is in Kuwait, but in the United States, it's ten percent. So if you have someone who's willing to put the money up for you, then yeah, it can happen. All right, here's a here's the thing. How do we know if this has anything to do with Islam? I don't think so. We don't know that. Rivka. I was just going to say and this isn't in direct response to your question, but um I actually know someone who had a similar thankfully she wasn't um killed a similar incident for rejecting a proposal. She had her face slashed with the razor. Uh. So this is something that does happen. Now, this I this person wasn't in Kuwait, it was in Morocco, but so even in places that supposedly have 
the soft Islam like Morocco. I don't know if it has anything to do with Islam, if, but it seems like it's tangentially related in the sense of the position of women and the feeling that, you know, men are in charge and that, you know, all of those things, it, it, it may be related in that regard because of what happens in the culture as a result of some of these Islamic laws or sociocultural norms. Maybe, but we don't know. I, I just think like um, as anti-religious atheist activist, a lot of our community is too fast into jumping like, oh, Islamic country, woman, something happened to a woman, this must be Islam. Like they just like assume it without knowing. I mean, okay, here's the thing. I'm not saying it's not Islam because some some Muslims might come and say, you know what, actually this is a sin in Islam. <laughs> this is like definitely a sin in Islam. There's nothing within the Quran or the Hadith that justifies this, right? Um, however, that doesn't mean that this is not because of Islam because, for example, in Christ we know Christianity has an influence, for example, on like priests and, you know, clergy or whatever, um, abusing children, even though there's nothing in the Bible that uh, condones that, because we know that it, there's ways of indirectly religion being responsible for things. It pro is, creates a culture and an environment, like we already talked about this, and untrust, you know, undeserved authority without any moral checks that, you know, and background checks and expertise that, you know, other in other environments you trust children with adults with and the the, uh, the understand and having a license to sin because everything is forgiven to Jesus. So even if they, it's not directly within the teachings of religion, religion can be indirectly responsible for the way some uh, children or women are treated. Like for example, we know honor killing um, is um, indirectly influenced by Islam, not because Islam allows it. It's that honor killing for is completely against Islamic teachings, right? Completely against Islamic teachings. But Islam is still responsible for honor killing because of the honor culture that it's responsible for, right? Uh, the purity culture that it's responsible for. So it is indirectly responsible for it, even though there is no direct teaching that condones it. Um, however, when it comes to something like this, this we don't know, right? Like, And if you claim you know, then you're full of crap. Uh, like, unless you know something about this, the details about the story that like, you know, that we don't know, like did the, like that maybe the, the man left a note somewhere saying like, oh, like, something Islamic, something, I don't know, you know something about the man's uh, motivations that we don't know. But if you just like, oh, Kuwait, or like Kuwait, Islamic country, woman, Oh, woman means uh, Islam is anti-woman. Oh, killed. Oh, okay. Islam, woman is victim of Islam because Kuwait is Islamic country. Like, if that's the way you think, then you're a moron. Uh, your way of thinking is way too simplistic. I'm sorry. You're an idiot. Um, so, no. It, yeah. Susanna, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see how cases like this and a couple of other really um, tragic cases that have happened in Kuwait uh, fairly recently throughout the past year um, have highlighted um, a lot of uh, it sparked a heightened protest against domestic violence, against the abuse of women, against honor crimes, uh, honor based violence. And 
a, a lot of it is protesting against how it's not taken very seriously, how it's not punished as thoroughly as it should be punished, and how um, certain, let me make sure I get this correct. Um, the, there's, there's been an ongoing campaign to overturn part of the penal code that allows men reduced sentences for killing women found in the act of adultery. So like the fact that part of the penal code allows men more freedom or, or less consequences for murdering a woman simply because she was allegedly found in the act of adultery, like tells you a lot of what you need to know about the judicial system and the general culture with which these women are living it. Yeah, that's actually a very, very good point. For example, uh, in Iran, uh, honor killing your own daughter, the, the consequences for that is way, way less than killing your own son, right? So again, Islam doesn't teach you that it's okay to kill your daughter. Islam says that it's a sin to kill your daughter, but also Islam is also responsible for the double standard in the justice system. Killing a little, killing a, your daughter is less of a crime than killing your own son, right? So, so Islam could again. So some Muslims might come and say, like, no, this is not a, this is not Islam because Islam doesn't allow this. Yeah, true. However, indirectly, because of a different standards in the justice system, it might allow this because the father might do a calculation and like, well, my honor, like my family, like the honor of my family has been ruined. I need to clean this up. Um, and two years in jail doesn't seem that is that much of a price. So that might be part of the calculation, even though Islam doesn't allow it. Right. I mean, and also the whole idea of a woman being worth half of a man is mathematically demonstrated in the Quran multiple times. Like this is not something that you even need to go to Hadith to figure out. This is within the Quran directly. Like it's mathematically calculated. Like it doesn't even hint to it. It directly says that in multiple ways. So that is definitely Islamic. It's funny. Some people in the live chat think I'm are so stupid. They think I'm defending Islam. Like, because I'm saying that this might not, we don't know oh, enough Jesus. to know that this is Islamic. They're like, oh, Armin, you're no, this is BS. Islam is really bad. Like, oh, really? You think so? <laughs> well, congratulations. <laughs> like, oh, my, God damn it, you guys, some of you are more. No, I Anyways. mean, literally, guys, he's just saying, like, that's not the sole influence on people's lives, right? Believe it or not, you can do things for other reasons. Like you don't just plug in Quran and you're like, dee, dee, dee. <laughs> like no. Rivka. And and this is absolutely and I think that's a really good point, Armin, because we don't know. And these kind of things happen all over the world, actually, in non-Islamic countries where women are killed by their, you know, lovers, their husbands, their um suitors you know some people that they don't even know sometimes who are convinced that you know they're in love with them so it's not something specific only to an islamic country it's a unfortunately a worldwide global phenomenon right right so so, so actually Rifka, what you your point is very important because 
seeing that it happens in other places doesn't mean that Islam doesn't have an influence because we see honor killing happens under Islamic environments a lot more, right? But the mere fact that it does have crimes like this happens in other environments as well doesn't negate the fact that Islam doesn't have an influence, but it means that there, there must be crimes like this happening in Islamic countries that sometimes has nothing to do with Islam. Like, do you, are you going to... Uh, are people going to think like every single crime in an Islamic country is because of Islam? Like when people, when somebody robs a bank in, is, in in an Islamic country, is it because of Islam? Like, do we think about, do we think like when somebody robs a bank in United States is because of Christianity? No, it might be, you know, it might be, maybe, but it might be not. Like somebody might be like, you know what, this is, a, I'm a Christian. Uh, so I'm going to rob a bank and um, I'm going to ask for forgiveness from Jesus. And then I'm going to be okay. Right. I'm so robbing it, this bank for Jesus. Yeah, yeah, or that. Okay, but again, it might be. We're not saying it's not. We're not saying that it is. But again, Islam has an influence, and that influence is always a negative. But we don't know if it was an influence here. Um, okay, so can we fi finally clap for some news? Or oh, no, no, we can't. Never mind. Next news. Next news. Indian atheist arrested in the United Arab Emirates for blasphemy against Islam. So, um, Dubai police have arrested an Indian immigrant, Abdul uh, Kader Puthiyan Gadi, on blasphemy charges. Abdul is from the Kasaragad district in Kerala, India. He is known to be a rationalist. A complaint was lodged against Kader's anti-religious comments with the Dubai police. He was arrested on the alleged charges of trolling Islam, quote unquote, on social media. Zealots have made allegation against, allegations against Abdul uh, Kainar previously. The UAE uh, government punishes blasphemy with several years uh, in prison if convicted, and apostasy is punishable by death. In the case of non-citizens, they are often deported. Alternatively, he may face trial under Islamic law, which could result in a prison sentence. Uh, to support Abdul during this ordeal, Freethinkers started a social media campaign called Hashtag Stand Up with Abdullah Khairar Puthi Yangai. Okay, so his situation is worse because he's an Abdul and not a... Like a... Arjun. Arjun or something like that, right? Like he's an ex, like he's Indian, but he wasn't like an Hindu, ex Hindu Indian. He's an ex Muslim Indian, right? Yes. And, and in UAE, apostasy is punishable by death. In UAE, guys, repeat that, please, because UAE is trying to act like it's part of the modern world now and people could come because it's not, you know, Sharia, Abdullah everywhere. But just remember, like, no, this is like this pun. This UAE is like a backward, barbaric country yeah, that needs to be shamed for it. death. Apostasy yeah, yeah. is punishable by death, and UAE citizens are um, by default considered Muslim. It's something so beautiful about somebody with the name Abdul from India blaspheming against Islam in the UAE. Like, this is so, it just make, warms my heart in so many ways. But Rivka, you wanted to say something? Yeah, um, I wanted to say, and this isn't specific to Abdul Khadr himself, 
But the sentence that says the arrest was on the alleged charges of trolling Islam. Islam isn't a person that has its own accounts. It's an ideology. And so saying that, I think, shows you exactly the um, often perception that people have as that the ideology itself is uh, either a needs of defended or that just saying anything about it is either, you know, Islamophobic is another one of the, you know, that you're hurting people, but this doesn't even say this. This is talking about trolling Islam. It's just that sentence itself is ridiculous. You can't troll something that, you know, Islam isn't posting things. There's a person behind that. You know, I, mm -hmm. I just, I, I know I'm not really going anywhere with that, but I'm bringing it up simply so people can see the level with which people are uh, mentally doing gymnastics here. Yeah. yeah, and Armin, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, so I actually found out about this news because um, some people reached out to us about it and they gave me some more background information. Now, uh, full asterisk disclosure, like I haven't been able to independently verify this information. So we're all going to treat this with, you know, a degree of skepticism. Um, but according to these people who reached out to Atheist Republic, um, he, uh, it was people from the Kerala Muslim community who uh, are in Dubai that then complained to him at the police. No. That's what I have been told. I don't know if this is true. If this is true, these are some, a bunch of hypocrites. Like, they managed to get this guy in trouble for something that is not a crime in, back in their own country. And yet here they're using the laws of an Islamic country to get their fellow countrymen in trouble for the things that they don't like that he said. Holy crap. These people are the scum of the world. Oh, my God. God damn it, these people are garbage. God, that, if this is true, I don't know if it's true. Um, well, how can we help him? Like, is this like, so what, okay, so he is so great that he's not a UAE citizen. But if, imagine this, what does it say about the UAE where, and the value of your citizenship where you make it, where you make people happy that, oh my God, this is such a bad situation, but I'm so glad I'm not a citizen here because I would be in so much more trouble. You know, we like criticize Australia with the way that they treated uh, Zara K because, so, you know, more better countries, we criticize them for not defending their own their, their citizens enough, but barbaric Islamic countries like the UAE, we have to criticizing criticize them not because their citizenship doesn't protect you but the citizenship could actually get you in more danger not yeah. in less danger like if you're an american citizen you would be like oh i know like if i get in trouble in this country like i have the united states coming out and trying to get me out of there right um better than australia because apparently australia doesn't give a crap when you're in trouble in some other country as an ex-muslim right but at least if you're an australian citizen at least the citizenship is not going to cause you more trouble because this man, if he was a UAE citizen, he would be 
facing the death penalty right now, right? Well, so you, if you're a UAE citizen, just remind, just re remind yourself that news like this reminds people to be glad that they're not you. Your government is signaling to the world the worth of your citizenship is below zero. Is below zero. Like we're happy that we're not a citizen of your crappy country. But go on, Susanna. Um. Oh shoot, where did it just go? So, um, like I said before, um, apostasy is a crime punishable by death in the UAE. Blasphemy is illegal, but expats um, involve. So that means like people who are living in the UAE but they're not citizens of the UAE. Um, are uh, involved in insulting Islam are punished by deportation. UAE incorporates hadood crimes of Sharia into its penal code, and apostasy being one of them. Um, so, therefore, apostasy is punishable by death in the UAE. Um, so, what this means is, but this is what's not clear to me. So, I was reading other um, things about the uh, UAE where it's been established by a federal court that non-Muslims um, are not subject to Sharia law um, within the country. So, although, so it's going to be interesting to see how this pans out and the difference between him being a former Muslim versus him being a non-citizen. Right. No. Okay. So I'm unsure say... of what, how that's going to complicate his legal case because he's not a citizen he might just be deported, but because he was a Muslim, is the Sharia system going to be applied to him? I don't know. No, they can't. They don't have jurisdiction over like the, the worst they could do to him is deport him. Like they, they can't do anything beyond deporting him. He's not a citizen of that country. They don't have they don't have the rights to that. Like this is like there's no way they're going to, you know, do anything beyond deporting him. Right. Um, but yeah, but it's. Um, Technically, like you can't be like in an Islamic country. If you say like, "Oh yeah, Sharia law doesn't apply to non-Muslims," like, "Oh okay, great, I'm gonna leave Islam, so your Sharia doesn't apply to me anymore." Like, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. You don't understand. You were a Muslim when you left Islam, and the Sharia law does apply to you mm -hmm. at the moment that you left Islam, and the punishment is death. So yeah. Uh, Rifka, you wanted to say, did you want to say something? Oh, um, so Katie is saying, yes, I heard the same. They used to threaten him in India too, but could only get him when he went to UAE. Yeah, so this guy was an atheist when he was in India as well, and he was by he was getting threats by Indian Muslims. Apparently, allegedly, we don't know if this is true. When we don't know if these are true. This is what we're hearing. Um, so in India, there is technically in Kerala at least there does. Uh, there is a blasphemy law, I, I get, apparently, for Muslims, but it's not enforced. So, well, in, for everyone in, the, in India. Yeah, technically, but Kerala doesn't enforce the blasphemy law, to my knowledge. Okay, so yes, they, they the guy had to go to the UAE. And for people who are saying, why did he like uh, people saying, why did he go to UAE as an atheist and also criticizing Islam as well? I mean, to be fair, w w the worst that could happen to him is to get deported. Why not go to? Is he like? He, if if you're worried about threats, he's getting threats in UAE and India at the same time. Um, why not go to the UAE if he wanted to, like, I don't know, get a job there or something? I mean, the guy is living his, being true to his beliefs, so you can you, you give him that. 
I don't see he wasn't taking that measure of a risk by in the UAE. But again, we have to recognize that um, UAE is trying to whitewash his image right now mm -hmm. uh, around the world uh, to act like, oh yeah, no shit, don't worry, Sharia doesn't apply to you if you come to UAE. This is just for like we just we just treat our own citizens like crap. We we value our non-citizens more than our own citizens. Like if you're not a citizen, you don't have to worry. We don't have to worry. We are such a garbage country that we feel like we could treat our own citizens like garbage, but we we value the non-citizens here, okay? Uh, so come here, feel safe. We're a modern advanced country. Come give us your tourist money. Uh, I hope you guys care about your fellow human beings enough to see them as a backward barbaric country um, because the way they treat their own citizens and that you are not only judging them based on how they treat tourists. Susanna? Yeah, well, Katie's bringing up a good point in terms of like, why did he go? Lots of Indians go to Dubai for business purposes, especially uh, Malaya people. Well, why am I echoing? I don't know. Oh. Um, so, and so what I was saying, he was uh, South Indian. And then she continues 60% or roughly 60% of the UAE population is South Asian, which I think is an important point jumping on the back of what you were saying in terms of, oh, you know, they're okay. They only treat their own citizens like crap. Well, only 20% of the UAE's population is actually UAE citizens. Meaning the fact that their citizens are held to such a incredibly draconian standard isn't highlighted as much given the fact that the actual citizens who are subject to this are a minority within the country. Okay, I think that echo was from Rivka when she came back. So Rivka, make sure you mute yourself when you're not speaking. Anyways, Rivka wants to speak. Go ahead. So I wanted to just address the question about why did he go? I feel like it seems like an unfair standard to put on people that they have to change what they say and do because they're afraid. You know, he may have had reasons we don't know, but he still has the right to say what he thinks and to put that out on. So now granted, there could be consequences based on, you know, where you are and the society that you live in. But I just, I really hesitate to question him as to why he went. He, he's free to move and go, you know, and, you know, where he wants to go. But he's also this person who also has the right to say what he thinks, even if he, you know, is in a place that doesn't acknowledge that. I, Rivka, I couldn't agree more. It's so frustrating um, because it's so easy for someone in complete security to go, oh, well, why did they go there? Why did they do this? Why did they criticize this? Blah, blah, blah. Like when they're not in that situation, it's, it's just too easy and like such a cop out. I feel like honestly, like when it's it, it, you would be shocked at how easy it would be to find yourself in a similar situation. 
like for something maybe you said like years ago you travel to the wrong place and all of a sudden you're in really hot water you know um so yeah that like criticism just really frustrates me all right i can't clap for the next news either i guess huh um no it's good kind of they it's kind of a good result yeah okay next news next news um feds charge extremist jewish sect with uh exploiting and kidnapping children so shouts out to the u.s feds for some justice um united states federal authorities filed charges of child exploitation and abduction against an extremist jewish sect known as the lev tahor group also known as the quote-unquote jewish taliban the charges leveled against the five leaders within the uh, Lev Tahor group were related to the forced marriage of the same child bride in uh, 2017 and her kidnapping, along with her younger brother in 2018. These charges were announced by the FBI and the, an attorney for the Southern District of New York. The abducted children's mother managed to break free from the group after her brother forced her then 12-year-old daughter to marry an 18-year-old man of the community for procreation. Police said that the kidnappers led the children through several states with disguises until they ended up in Mexico. That is where the children were recovered and returned to New York within three weeks. Then uh, Tev Lahore tried to kidnap them again. Twice. A Justice Department press release explains that child brides in the Lev Tahor community are forced to have sex with their husbands and lie about their marriage. As of 2017, members of the Lev Tahor group are, were living in Chiapas, Mexico. Oh, wow. Um, Rivka, do you know much about this group? I had heard about them. I didn't know all the Michigas that's crazy stuff that's going on with them to the degree that this is happening. I mean, Lev Tahor means pure heart. It's not been around that long. I think like late seventies or eighties was when it was started by a rabbi named Shlomo Helbrantz. He mysteriously drowned in Mexico. His son Nachman runs it. You know, there's all kinds of allegations here that um, not just the kidnapping and the child marriage, there's been allegations of, you know, forcing them to take antipsychotic drugs. There's been allegations of beatings, of, you know, physical child abuse, of neglect, uh, all kinds of things. Uh, Lev Tahor claims that they're persecuted. This was started in Israel, this group, and they have been on a basically a world trek to get away from their uh, supposed persecution for being anti I don't know if we're allowed to say this word zists um but uh, because of the uh algorithm but uh they they've had these allegations following them wherever they go you know they went to new york they went to canada they went to mexico and these allegations of child abuse of child marriage have been um following them wherever they go and i know that their leader 
got refugee status in Canada through some supposed not so uh, truthful means. So Which it's really insane. Right. It's really crazy. And the other thing about them is the women wear like what basically could be a chador or an abaya, very similar to well, this Persian. woman right here. If you look on my screen, it looks like she has a niqab on. Look at this little girl, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, look at it. They don't wear it. They drop the cloth over their face. It's yeah, very similar even, to like they don't an even have the slit, an abaya or a shudder. But the thing that you need to know is like they put those on the girls starting at age three. That's insane. And part of their breakaway from other Haredi sex is their extreme, even more so than other Haredi sex focus on modesty. They themselves, you know, one of the spokesmen says, you know, that they want to go backwards. They, they, mm -hmm. they think that this was the original Judaism, that it's purer. Um, and, uh, that they're, you know, of course they're doing the right thing. And again, they say they're being persecuted, particularly by the government of Israel, I mean, there are stories of, you know, infiltration of Mossad, you know, we're afraid of Mossad's going to shoot us, all these ridiculous allegations. Because as far as the being persecuted, there's many other sects who have um, anti, I don't know, am I allowed to say that word starts with a Z? I don't know what the rules are here. I don't know but, what the rules are anymore either. So. Well, uh, yeah, anti-Zionist, anti-Zionist. There are plenty others that are, you know, and if people are wondering where that comes from, there are sects that believe that the state is illegitimate because there's no state of Israel without the Mashiach, the Messiah. Like mm -hmm. only God can enter, you know, start this. So, um, but yeah, they they are also, I mean, they're transporting children across state and international borders to protect this, you know, horrific uh, child marriage that they're uh, they do. And they they're not that big of a group either. You also, it needs to be said, you know, um they're they're not that large. Um, but they have very much influence over their followers. And the thing with the women too, you know, their whole thing is just to prepare to be, to be mothers, have a lot of kids. You know, there's some women in that sect I read about that have 18 children. Oh my you know, God. And they live in, you know, like a two bedroom house kind of thing. So, and that was also part of the charges by the Quebecis was, you know, just, um, squalor, neglect. So they're really, really cultish, even more so, and very insular. And they're just, you know, looking for a country that they can keep doing these horrific things in, and they just keep moving from one to the other. Their women look like Chaduri women in Iran. It's wild. Yeah. That's what I, this, that's exactly what I said. This is like full, like this is. I mean, I know like other religions have head coverings, like Islam, like Zoroastrianism has head covering. Jewish women have head coverings. Um, Christian women have head coverings, like religious. But I've never seen a head covering that looks like 
hijab so closely. Like I've never seen anything. This is basically what their religious. The only difference is that there's something covering their face. It's worse than actually in Iran. Okay, so in Iran, most women don't wear the chador. Like mm -hmm. uh, most women wear. The chador like, looks more like this. Yeah, but look, no, no, but you see, even her, she has something that is is is, is going to fall uh, on her right. face. You see that thing on top of her head that is supposed to fall to cover her face. How do they walk without falling? Can you click on that picture where they all their faces were covered? Like that one. I yeah. think that some of that is to cover, perhaps even for the photograph, because I've seen pictures of Iranian women with the same. They'll pull the shador over their face. Um, no, not but really. They, I've seen photos like that of uh, so older ones. So, but these women, um, in a lot of the accounts that I've read, and then there's several videos and you know, kind of documentaries, investigative uh, reportage. All the women have refused to be. Um, many of them, not all, I should say. Many of them refuse to be seen on camera. Uh, they also, in several of them, seem to stage some uh, events specifically to show people, look, there's nothing wrong here. Mm -hmm. We just, you know, do these nice things and we study our religion. And there's been a couple of those that right. seemed staged. They brought people in, look at, you know, here's what we teach the girls. One right. of them was in Quebec you know, making sure that people knew they were getting secular education, but it seems pretty apparent it was staged for the benefit of the reporters. All right. I, I want to, how do you, yeah. Okay. Here, let me actually show you guys this. Can you go back to my screen? Mm -hmm. Here you go. Uh, there we go. Okay. So in Iran, uh, this is the way that non-religious women wear their hijab. And this is the way religious women wear their hijab. Okay. So, and yeah, they're both hijab. The people say, like, oh, no, this is hijab. This is not hijab. No, no hijab no. is an umbrella term for all of them. People are like, oh, no, we, do, we don't understand. Like, no, you don't understand. Anyways, they're both hijab. This is a more like non, some person that is putting her hijab on reluctantly and is trying to make it as in, the hijab as invisible as possible. Oh, look at her. She's looking at her so judgmentally, too. Like, look at you. You're look not at all that hair well. showing. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah, so, yeah, look at <laughs> So judgmental. Anyways, but even the most religious women in Iran, they don't cover their face. They don't cover their face. And yet you go to this ultra-Orthodox. This is so bizarre. I've never seen the covering and like this. And look at how young the girls are that have their face covered. Yeah, but I've never seen... Oh, can I say something? I'm just saying that I've never seen covering that is so close to their religious covering in Iran. Like, this is my first time seeing this in, from a, in Jewish community. The only difference is the part that makes it worse. Again, I'm, I'm assuming that these are see-through? Or else it will be keeping, like, no, look at her. So sad. Look at this. The girl that is at the front, you know that they're not see-through enough. Yeah, that. Because she's, like, lifting it to look at something. That means that it's not easy to see through it. What a horrible life. This should be, is this in the United States? This should be child abuse. This should be illegal. 
This should be illegal. This is child abuse. They're in the United States. They're in New York. They've been in Quebec. They've been in Ontario. They've been in Guatemala. They apparently got kicked out of Guatemala. Guatemala, um, the community around them, I I think the Jewish community and also the indigenous community, you know, was like, "Uh uh-uh, you guys got to go. But what's interesting is there was a photo, and I don't know if it's doctored, and I'm going to try and find it if I can find it. I don't know if I can, but there's a photo that I saw going around the internet years ago that was uh, Damela, the Jewish um, quarter in, um, um, I believe, a Middle Eastern country. It could have been uh, Eastern Europe, like Sarajevo or someplace like that, where there's women walking down the street wearing similar that some according to this photo and the text that went with it, were actually Jews. Hmm. So I don't know whether that's the case. I have never experienced this, even in my own um, experiences and my own being around very uh, extreme, you know, Haredis, like even some of the Satmar sect mm-hmm. in New York where the women don't drive and things like that. I've never seen particularly this type although i did see that photo previously and again it looks very much like some of the you know persian khador but the the modesty thing for women which is part of why they even left some of these other haredi sects because their concept of modesty is you know even more extreme and remember i said that these girls are wearing this from the age of three and what's really interesting Sorry, look at this baby in the corner. Like, it almost looks like they tried to tie something around this baby's face. I can't tell if she's tangled up in something on I think she's tangled mother's up. There's jor- no way yeah. they're going to put that. No, I think she's tangled up. There's no way they're going to put but that But they the do put these on th- starting at the age of three. I've seen photographs and videos of very young girls wearing this dark fabric you know, covering All right, Rita, um, what's okay. interesting is the, the men dress like, uh, you know, Eastern European Jews from, you know, Poland, like Hasids, but the women wear this very Iranian type garb. Bring it back, Susanna. I needed to Rivka and we need to move on. And I wanted to highlight something. Yeah. So look at how horrible this is and what a horrible childhood this is going to be. And look at this idiot in the live chat, born star, okay? Imagine growing up like this. Imagine being covered all the time like this. Imagine all like being able, you know, not being able to choose your clothes, being always black, having your eyesight uh, completely covered, being always in the dark when you're outside, not being able to experience the wind in your hair, sunshine on your skin. And this person is saying, it's not child abuse. It's just a piece of cloth. And look, look at this idiot. Like It's a piece of clothing, you guys. You're overreacting. Bornstar, you're a moron. You're a moron of today, okay? So we're going to highlight you as a moron for today. It's a piece of cloth. It's not child abuse. It's just a piece of cloth. You know you can hang somebody with a piece of cloth, right? Just because it's a piece of cloth, that doesn't mean that you can't make someone's life miserable with it, you idiot. This is your own personal hell. This is your, you carry your jail with you wherever you go. Imagine growing up like this. This is your childhood. And this idiot in the live chat thinks this is not child abuse. Born star, 
congratulations. You're the idiot of today. Um, and congratulations to the FBI and all authorities for cracking down on yeah. this crazy extremist child abusing, uh, child uh, arring, uh, ex uh, dogmatic totalitarian sect. And I hope uh, the feds rain down even more charges on y'all. And um, ditto. I second that. Yeah. Yes, me too. Um, can we clap for the next news? Um, oh, no. 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 Okay. Next news. Uh, next news, 10-year-old Indian boy hit by BJP worker for refusal to chant Jai Shri Ram. So for those of you who are not familiar, Jai Shri Ram is basically like the uh, Hindu nationalist version of Allahu Akbar. Yeah, it's um, basically Aloha Akbar of the Hindus, which yeah. means um, Zindabad Ram, I guess, or long live Ram, <laughs> yes. which is their god. Glory to Lord Ram. Glory to, yeah, glory to Lord Rum. Uh, so on April 26th, a BJP worker allegedly beat a 10 year old boy over his refusal to chant Jai Shri Ram at uh, Pulia in Nadia. The young boy, uh, Mada, uh, no, Mahadev Sharma, was admitted to the uh, hospital with multiple injuries. The incident angered residents who attacked the alleged perpetrator, Mahadeb Prabhmanik. Uh, the protester raised a blockade demanding Prabhmanik's arrest. The police began an inquiry and managed to lift the blockade after an hour. According to a witness, the boy was passing by Prabhmanik's tea stall and was singled out because of his father's recent involvement in, with the uh Prinamal Congress. When he refused to chant Jai Shri Ram, he was beaten badly and suffered injuries to his face, head, and back. After the assault, Pramanik fled the scene. His wife, Mithu Prumalik, the local chief of the BJP, the BJP's women's wing, said to the press that the boy picked up a stone and threw it at the shop, breaking the glass, which angered her husband. She also stated that Primo Nul is using this as an incident to frame them. An official of Santi Pur Police said that they are trying to find out exactly what happened. Um. Katie is saying something in the live chat. You want to hear? Yeah. So she's giving some context. So for those who don't know, the Primunul uh, Congress or TMC is the current ruling part, ruling government of Bengal, and uh, the main like regional opposition to the BJP. So th the background of this is that there was. Or suppose, allegedly the background to this is that this child was targeted because his father opposes the BJP. And so this kid was punished for it. Okay. Um, Rivka, do you have anything to say? No, I just, I want to just talk about the um, absolute 
uh, sort of this collective punishment. And this is a child. He's not responsible for what his father does. He can't control what he, his father does. And this, you know, I don't know if it was specifically, you know, targeting that, but it's it, the guy's wife from the shop is uh, BJP women. So it just seems like it's just so sad. I feel so sorry for this boy that he has to capitulate to this mob or they're going to beat him. It's just really terrible. Yeah. And more specifically, um, the, so, you know, this guy and his wife alleged that the child was bothering them or even like, you know, trying to damage their shop and their property. However, this boy's father says, you know, he was shocked that, you know, he, his son was attacked basically for his political involvement. And he said, the father said on the day of the election, BJP workers had been trying to influence voters, which is what I protested against. So it appears they took revenge by attacking my son. So on the other hand, the father is alleging that they basically took retaliation against his anti-BJP protest and took that retaliation and revenge out on his son. This is insane. Um, are these things um, happening more in India or have they always been there or are we just getting more reports of it? It depends before? on the region, but part of what's significant about this is that, and guys, correct me in the live chat if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that typically in the more, more recent years, the BJP hasn't had as much power in this particular state west bengal but they are gaining power and mm. with the election that's coming up things are you know there's a lot of tension do you want to read what katie is saying um katie is saying yeah madahev is another name for shiva and sharma is a brahmin surname so mm. he was he, despite this you know despite being high caste he was still attacked for opposing the hindutva <laughs> Well, uh, the Hindutva don't care about caste. They're starting their own caste, um, which is pro-Hindutva caste and not pro-Hindutva caste, I guess. Yeah. So that's their own caste system. But and Katie yeah, so, so also again, added. Sorry. No, no, Hindutva is like political Hinduism, basically, and they want us to congratulate them for being anti-caste system, but they're they're still tribal and they're still like, just because you are tribal in a different way than the caste system, that doesn't make you non-tribal. And they are very, very aggressive against the people who are not within their Hindutva tribe. You know, again, don't let Hindutva people tell you that they're anti-caste because they have made their own caste, which is the Hindutva caste. Mm -hmm. But yeah, go on. Katie's also adding the BJP goon, uh, the BJP brought goons from other states to wet, to Bengal to intimidate people during the elections. Yeah. And the election in Bengal were uh, going on throughout April. Oh, so I said ongoing. I forgot that it's now May. Um, yes. Some more comments from India. Um, uh, Narumi Momose is saying, I've complained, I've complaints about communists, but I've told RSS slash BJP types and Islamists didn't get too far when they ruled Bengal. If true, as a capitalist myself, I'll back the communists. Here's another um, 
where are those Narita, who's saying this? uh narumi is saying again where are all those hindus who said we're unique and marked your and mocked your limited abrahamic mindset they seem to be following islamists to the last letter not really yeah i mean they're not not no guys just because hindutva is horrible that doesn't mean they're the same as the islamists right Things could be bad without being without it being that bad. Like an Islamist is not actually the textbook definition of awful that we like hold everything else against. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not the same. They're getting closer slowly, very slowly, but not the same. Not 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 by a. Um, Katie is saying the guy who who coined the term Hindutva in the 1890s was from Bengal, but the Mm -hmm. residents in his hometown today are anti-Hindutva. And she continues with uh, regarding the election results. The exit polls are not reassuring. BJP will gain a lot of power and might even win. It is really scary for the liberal people here and also the large Muslim population in beef legality. Yeah, I always said that uh, uh, the Hindutva, their, their influence in India is growing. And for India, uh, short term, what you know for the future doesn't look bright okay long term i'm very very optimistic about india Uh, short term i'm very pessimistic about india like india is going to go through a phase of anti-secularism stronger hindutva more powerful bjp more hindu nationalism um but long term very long term i'm hopeful for india i think india like uh, once the current generation Z replaces the boomers, which is going to be a long time from now, I think that we're going to see a major shift. But yeah, short term, things are getting worse and worse. Um, oh my! Oh wow! People will be saying next year there are elections in Uttar Pradesh. That's going to be horrible. We're going <laughs> to see what the <laughs> we're going to. We are have about to... to have a spicy news cycle. That's for sure. Oh, yeah, Katie is actually saying, well, long-term, I'm optimistic about the world itself. Short-term, India is, yes, um, <laughs> screwed, yes. Uh, India won't, won't be going any. So Narumi is saying India won't be going anywhere in the next 20 years. That country will have a long way to go unless. No, guys, India is, guys, India is going to still progress economically, technologically. Uh, there's still going to be things that are going to improve in India, even though when it comes to secularism and human rights uh, and politics, uh, things are going to be worse, um, maybe in the short term. Not everything. Don't like, don't try to paint a worse picture than it actually is. India is going to become an economic superpower. And in fact, part one reason why long-term India is going to um, have better human rights is because when people make more money, they demand more rights. Okay, so p- there's two there's two forces that is going to make India's long term future really good. One is Generation Z- Z's view on politics and religion and secularism, but another aspect is that in the, even in the short term, India is going to economically and technologically uh, become stronger. And that that the impact of that short term is that once the more people you have that they have their food and housing and clothing taken care of, the more they're going to go 
shift their demands into rights and freedoms and stuff like that, right? You're going to see that shift happening. And that in the long term is going to also have a positive impact on human rights in India, right? Well, I'm also very curious to see how the reaction and fallout from the, um, how bad the uh, handling of the disease that's going around that we can't talk about much because of the YouTube yeah, algorithm. Talk about them, yeah. um, anyways, I'm very curious to see how the reaction from that is going to affect the Modi government because it's not looking good right now. Um, it will have, yeah, he, you just have to like so do some fear mongering about Muslims and Pakistan and then you're set, right? Every time the yeah. economy is not doing as good as you want or some people have some complaints, just like, just be like, just go like this, Modi, Modi, just go like this. The Muslims are going to get you. Muslims are going to get you. Ah, Muslims are coming. Ah, look under your bed. Muslims are going to get you. And then you get all the votes. All the votes. Right? That's the... <laughs> 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 all right. Okay, okay. Um... All right. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, Rivka, you said something? I said the you... moose lambs. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, don't don't do that. YouTube is gonna think we're yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, but that's funny. All right. Um can we clap for the next news? No. No. What the hell? Sorry, guys. Next news. Next news. Pakistani Taliban claim deadly blast at hotel hosting Chinese ambassador. Um on April 22nd, a deadly bomb blast occurred at a luxury hotel hosting the Chinese ambassador in Pakistan, killing five people. The uh, Pakistani Taliban claimed responsibility for the attack. The bomb was placed in a car parked at the Serena Hotel and detonated late on April 21st in uh, Keta, the capital of the uh, Baluchistan province. Uh, police announced the blast came from an uh, improvised explosive device, and security officials and hotel staff were among those killed. China's foreign ministry spokesman, Wang Wenbin, described the blast as a terrorist attack. Um, I'm using coded language for YouTube. Um, Gu Wenliang a agriculture commissioner at China's embassy in Pakistan told a Chinese newspaper that the bomb had detonated 10 minutes prior to their expected return. A spokesperson for Tariki Taliban Pakistan said that the su uh, suicide bombing um, boom, 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 um, again, coded language for YouTube hit the security officials precisely as planned. The uh, Prime Minister Imran Khan stated via Twitter that the Pakistani government would not allow the TTP, aka the Tariki uh, uh, Taliban Pakistan, to reemerge in the region. Um, any, wait, did you mention what the, what the motivation behind the attack was? Well, what's interesting is that, um, according to this spokesperson for the TTP, they said that it, they claimed that the boom boom hit the security officials precisely as planned. Meanwhile, the Chinese ambassador and their aides, etc., 
were supposed to be like approaching at the time. So, but the statement saying that, oh, it happened as planned made it seem as if their target wasn't the Chinese ambassador. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, not everything goes as planned. Maybe you're just bragging about the attack. Um, by the way, this this the Taliban in Pakistan is quite different from the Taliban in Afghanistan, right? I mean, they're connected, of course, but they operate differently, and and this is really. I've been getting a lot of people from. Pakistan telling us that the situation is really bad in Pakistan because this, if you know, the Taliban goes between Afghanistan and Pakistan um, as if the, there's no border. Mm -hmm. And this, the thing is that there is a lot of numbers for recruitment and support in Pakistan for the Taliban. Like, you know, all, every time we tell you that, we show you the numbers of people that come out when one of these um, radicals in Pakistan uh, is killed or does something crazy. Like the amount of support for the most radical versions of um, Islamic attacks like this, you have the, the numbers of people who support this in Pakistan, even though they're a minority, they're still a huge number. Like it's a huge number, right? And if the thing is that we're talking about a country with nuclear weapons, that even the military, which we, we used to think like Pakistan's military is a source for stability, no matter how crazy and barbaric that the Pakistan's military is, at least it keeps in check these like radicals. But we're now seeing more and more the numbers of these people in Pakistan are so high that we don't even know now if the military is intimidated by them or not. Like, we know the government itself is completely a, a joke. Like, it's either the powers that be are either these Islamists or it's the the military. Like, people, usually, people often say, like, every other countries have a military. In Pakistan, we have a military that has a country. Like, the military is the mm -hmm. one that is running the show. But in recent years, we actually have seen that even the military is kind of intimidated by these by the islamists so the thing is that if these people like whenever they want something they have the numbers to come and really pressure something right and if in this pakistan is a country that can't we cannot afford to for it to be be fragile you know they have nuclear weapons mm -hmm. and if it ever even comes remotely close to breaking apart we know who are the people that are going to be on top, like going to come on top. It's going to be the Taliban sympathizers. I mean, imagine how crazy it is that the Taliban in Afghanistan has managed to be very successful at uh, staying in power because they had their own Taliban across the border in Pakistan that they could always go back to Pakistan whenever they were in danger, come back to Afghanistan. And now that Afghanistan is, the United States is leaving Afghanistan and Taliban is going to come take over, that role that Pakistan played for Taliban in Afghanistan, now Afghanistan can play that role for Taliban in Pakistan. So now you have a base where 
you know, like imagine two people are at fighting with each other, but one of them always has a place to go back to and you can't touch them, right? Mm -hmm. That's going to give them a huge advantage over whatever anti-radical, anti again, I'm not going to say the T word, any anti-radical efforts in Pakistan uh, it's going to be very hard now that Taliban is in power, is going to be in power in Afghanistan. And the situation is just perfect for Taliban to now, now Taliban has taken over Afghanistan. I do. I wouldn't be surprised if they're like, let's go for a second country. Let's take Pakistan. Right. Um, it does look that they have the numbers to be able to at least make it a plausible risk you know is and it's scary to think like afghanistan doesn't have nuclear weapons imagine i mean to be to to make it a little bit less scary um there's no way the international community is going to let a country with nuclear weapons to fall into taliban so there's that but anyways both of you want to speak who wants to go first rifka go first so a couple things. So you were talking about this porous nature of the border between Afghanistan and Pakistan for Taliban to move back and forth. You know, I know that the army had declared that the border region militant free back in 2018, but that is absolutely not the case. You know, it's still a lot of this porous nature. Um, and I, I just wanted to say a couple things about this attack uh, with particular against uh, China, you know, I was looking at some previous reports two weeks ago when it actually happened, there was discussion that the Pakistani Taliban had said that their targets were police and other people at this luxury hotel, which is, could be have a Western called connotation. But then there's also this, because I was kind of researching this a little bit, I know that there are separatists and other people in the region um, who claim and have been claiming that China is exploiting Baluchistan for gas and mineral wealth. And then there was a, an attack at a hotel, which was a project funded by China. And uh, there was also another uh, Baluch Liberation Army attack at a school funded by China. Uh, um, I sorry, I always want to say because the Hebrew makes me want to say that. But um, yeah, so there was, so my point in saying that is there's been this underlying frustration or talk or alleged blame on China for exploitation, for, you know, not returning some of the wealth to the people in the area. So it's hard to separate. I don't know, and I'm not seeing whether it's for sure, because even on one of the reports, they're saying that they never mentioned China in their taking responsibility statement. Back to what you were saying, you know, it's possible maybe they weren't, or maybe it doesn't matter to them. Like they get mileage out of it either way whether you think it's the government and the Western style hoteliers who are doing this, or whether you think it's the focused on the Chinese ambassadors, it's as if the, the uh, terrorists, they get they're they're getting mileage from it, no matter what, either way for them. Yeah. I actually just wanted to provide a little bit more detail on what Rivka was saying. So since August of 2018, there have been several terrorist attack, 
attacks against Chinese people in Pakistan. These include the 2018 attack against the Chinese consulate general in Karachi and the 2020 attack against the Pakistan Stock Exchange, both by the Baluchistan Liberation Army. Um, and so uh, as background, Chinese company, companies partially own the Pakistan Stock Exchange. Um, and um, although Pakistan has been fighting extremism in a decade-long fight, analysts warn that it has yet to tackle the root causes of extremism. Billions of dollars of Chinese money flowing into the region through the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor, or CPEC, is a crucial part of China's Belt and Road Initiative and has fueled resentment among the locals. They said that it gives little benefits as most of the jobs go to outsiders. So I just wanted to provide that as maybe um, some potential influence um, as what went into this. Wait, so what's the relationship between the Baluchi separatist movements and the Taliban exactly? That's what's not very clear to me. Are the are the Taliban is the Taliban trying to um, tell the Baluchi separatist movements that? The only way that they could get their what they wish is through the Taliban. I don't know a, because the previous two attacks that I mentioned happened. I don't think that I think they're independent, separate move groups for separate reasons. Yes, yeah, but yeah. here's um, the connection. So the previous two attacks happened were uh, were claimed by the Baluchistan Liberation Army, and then this current attack happened in the Baluch region. Yeah, so they might be completely separate. Actually, Marcia in the live chat is saying, what at what terrorism, again, we're not saying this because of YouTube algorithm, uh, front is not religious space. Is there oh, any? Oh, there's a lot. Yeah, there's oh, a lot. Many, and, many. Yeah, there's many. In fact, the if the Baluchi separatist movement that we're just discussing right now, they're not religiously motivated. There is just a separatist movement, right? Um. Armin, yeah, but to your point about like, are they separate entities? I think so. But I think that to the degree that you can hijack someone else's agenda for your own purpose. And that's what I meant about, you know, this Taliban group may find it beneficial for people to believe whatever they want, whether they're blaming China, whether they're blaming the government and vice versa. You know, the Baluch people might find it to their, you know, political advantage if people think it's China. Oh, look, these guys are on our side, too. So whether they're the fact that they're separate, but maybe they have common cause. Mm. We don't know. Though. Or yeah, maybe the Taliban might just appreciate the level of instability that the Baluchistan yeah. uh, insurgency provides, because it's one of the longest ongoing insurgencies in the world, I believe. They could, I'm, yeah. I believe I, I think that. you're right too, Susanna. I like think they don't know, guys. These are, these are pure speculation. We, we are. are. We're just talking political yeah. motivations. I think you're right, though, that a lot of that instability allows all kinds of stuff to thrive. And that instability allows them perhaps to come in and take over, which is very similar to the situation in Afghanistan. There was so I mean, much internal fighting. They come in and then provide supposed security and quiet everything down in the chaos. That's not always the case, though, because sometimes if you're not the source of the instability, then the resources goes to your competitor. 
You know what I mean? Like some like if if some the the people be, that are trying to create instability, sometimes they're trying to show that you are the main, <laughs> you're the one that's causing it. And if some other brand comes and causes that, then they might be taking resources away from that from you. Like I mean, so for example, we also see in these regions, ISIS is present here, um, and they are a source of instability. And yet Taliban and ISIS don't see eye to eye at all, and they fight each other sometimes, right? So um, if if they, I mean, if they're both a source of, I mean, Taliban right now it's not uh, doesn't want instability anymore, <laughs> right? Taliban, I mean, they still want it, but at some point, once they're like, sorry, they still want it to some extent until the United States leaves, but they're gonna. There's a limit to the level of instability they want. This is their country that they're going to inherit in Af I mean, Afghanistan, for example, right? Maybe they want more instability right now in Pakistan than they want in Afghanistan. But again, de depends on the region, depends on the motivation, depends on the messaging, depends. Sometimes they do attacks, they take credit for it, and sometimes they don't. And there's always a strategic reason behind it. Sometimes, um, you know, so we, we, it's really, it's, it gets really complicated. There's a lot of things that are happening behind the scenes, conversations that are happening. Like I'm pretty sure, like even though like even ISIS, like I said ISIS and Taliban go to war with each other, but I'm sure they also talk to each other over some things that they could work with each other. It's really get it gets really messy and complicated, right? So, um, and I don't I have no idea how the Baluchi separatist movement entered this equation at all. So I don't know. Like there's the the factors are so huge. Anyways. Um, Narumi is saying, isn't the Baluch separatist movement dead ever since China? No, it's not dead. Oh my God. You can see them. They're all over my DMs, man. Every like, do you guys get messages from Baluchi separatists in on Facebook? No. Asking you to like ad advocate for their cause. God damn it. I get spammed by them. Uh, ever since China took over that region back in the mid 2000s and developed it, it's gone the way. No, it has not. It's very much alive and kicking and trying to. Mm, yeah, no, no. I know that it's not that. I know that much at least. Um, anyways. Yeah, actually, the separatist movements, um, even if they don't um, see eye to eye with any of these groups, they do. They're, they always get excited when the government is seems weaker. It doesn't matter what the cause is, right? So, for example, when the Shah uh, fell in Iran, the Kurds were like, this is our time. We're going to separate from the rest of the country, right? It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't mean that they are in ideologically in, within, in agreement with the people who toppled the government. They're just happy to see the government get weaker. So the Baluchis... The Baluchi separatist movement, they're always like sitting there and they're like watching and like <gasps> the military seems weak in Pakistan. <sighs> or like, you know, it doesn't, you know, so if, if the Taliban is doing that, it doesn't really matter. They don't see eye to eye with Taliban, but if they could do that, the, uh, the Baluchi is like, this is our shot. This is our chest. Anyways, uh, but they always come out disappointed. Uh, can we clap for the next news? No. No. Okay. Do get okay. Maybe the last news. Yeah, the last news. Okay. Next news. Next news. Algerian academic gets three years in jail for offending Islam. Uh, Syed uh, 
Jabal Kur, tough name, um, an Algerian scholar on Islam, was given a three-year prison sentence on April 22nd for offending Islam. He pledged to appeal and fight for freedom of thought. Seven lawyers and a fellow academic made complaints against him because he called for, quote, reflection on Islam's founding manuscripts. Uh, Jabal Kur was released on bail. His lawyer, uh, Mohman Hadi, uh, expressed that the case is baseless. The offense Jabal Kur was convicted of can be punished by up to five years in prison. During his trial in April, uh, Jabalkar defended himself, arguing that he had only provided, quote, academic reflections. He mentioned that the traditional readings of the Quran no longer meet the expectation, needs, and questions of modern man. He wow. added that the Salafists want to impose on Muslims their reading of texts as being the absolute truth, which he contests in his writings. Jabalkar's lawyers warned against the trial serving as a launchpad for courts becoming an arena for religious debates. Opponents, however, blame him for disrespecting the Holy Quran and the five pillars of Islam, including the yearly Hajj pilgrimage. I thought Algeria was getting better with all of this. Rivka, you want to say something? So there's a couple things. Um, so one of the things that this epidemic is saying, too, is he's trying to make a distinction between what he considers religion and what he considers history, and people are getting bent about it. So um, some of these academics who and lawyers who complained against him said, everything in the Quran is history with a capital H so to speak, like there is no difference, but he is attempting to say like, look, there is. And so one of the things that he got in trouble for was he drew this comparison between the Eid sacrifice of the sheep and the Berber new year, which was predating Islam, you know? And so just the discussion of this historical aspects of it's the country, historical pagan aspects, right? Not just, yeah but pagan aspects um, is getting him in trouble because they're telling him like, no, everything in the Quran is actual history, you know, which is very similar to a lot of the um, evangelicals in the United States that that's the real history, you know, in, in the Bible. And um, he also is saying that, you know, he's not an imam, he's a professor. And so, you know, that's more of his trying to say like, look, I'm putting religion here and I'm talking about history, that they're separate, separate things. So um, I thought that was kind of interesting that he was really trying to make that distinction, but it's not going uh, for a lot of the people. They're trying to blur that distinction that he's making. And, you know, uh, Algeria has this 144 penal code which they've used to crack down on dissent and protest. And that's actually what they, you know, are using to um, sentence this guy. Mm -hmm. So I just want to say to uh, people who say that maybe you should be more polite, you know, maybe 
criticize Islam in a non-offensive way, all right? Um, well, this guy tried that, and he got a three-year jail sentence, right? Like, it doesn't really matter to some of these people how you criticize Islam. The mere audacity to even try <laughs> look at Islam was, in an objective way. Like his analysis, right? Three <laughs> no offensive three year jail sentence. Like this is not like somebody that comes out and says like swears at Muhammad, rips out the Quran like we did. No, right? This is guy like, hey guys, I know you guys of your religion. I just want to analyze this objectively from an academic perspective. Offensive three year. He's sentence. a specialist on Sufi Islam. An academic a, yeah. and people are criticizing him because he does not or he got in trouble because he is not taking the quran itself as a historical document that's what right. they, that's what they expect of him right and i would like to point out too also that this law that he's being charged under it was apparently a 1990 law Okay, mm. so this is not something that's been going back, you know, hundreds of years. This is very new, you know. Right. And guys, this is an actual Islamic scholar, right? Like from academia, because usually when a lot of traditionalist Muslims tell you Islamic scholar, I always do the scholar in air quotes because they just like they're scholar in a way that somebody believes in witchcraft and thinks that they're studying spells on how to do the best spells, uh, that the, the way that they, those people are scholars, like maybe in Hogwarts, right? So when you hear Islamic scholar, you have to be skeptical. What do you mean Islamic scholar? Are you talking about people that went to the, theologians? They're referring mostly to theologians that are taking Islam actually seriously as a religion, right? The word scholars should not be wasted on those people, right? So... When Muslims tell you, like, oh, we don't know, refer to an Islamic scholar, they're not actually using scholar in the proper way, right? This guy is an actual Islamic scholar. These are the people who are studying Islam from an academic, from an objective, from a historical perspective, right? Not from not looking at it, analyzing it, not in the sense of, oh, this is a true religion. No, they're analyzing it about the history of it, the archaeological evidence, studying the script, the evolution of the religion, the background context of cultures that influence and the philosophies that impact the ideas, uh, regardless of their own personal belief. And in fact, you don't even have to be a non-Muslim to be able to do this. There are many, uh, there are, it's amazing, like, yeah, I'm more skeptical when a Muslim or a Christian isn't actually studying the Bible or the Quran or Islam or Christianity from an academic perspective because it's hard to imagine that their own religion is not influencing their bias. However, to be fair to them, a lot of Muslim and Christian scholars, like, so I'm not saying that this whole scholarship can be done only by non-Muslims or non-Christians, no. Uh, the academic um, institutions that are not Islamic institutions are, they have enough, uh, the metric and the me uh, is, the standards are pretty high for you not to be able to get away with actually publishing something and get, having it reviewed if it doesn't meet the standards, right? You so mean they have checks and balances. They have checks and balances, right? So you could be a, even a Muslim or that is an actual Islamic scholar that is like 
putting your belief in the back seat while looking at Islam uh, and its history from an objective perspective, right? But again, these these are not the theologians, like the people who go studying, um, you know, Islamic schools in Medina or in Al Zahra University or in Qom or in Najaf. Those people are jokes. Every time you say Islamic scholar for those people, make sure you use the air quotes uh, because they are not actual scholars. By the way, did this guy this guy was he making a statement by actually making taking a risk? Like he was that part of his motivation to doing that? Like he knew the consequences to this, but he's not just making an a, academic statement. He's also trying to make a sec for pro seculars and pro free speech statement by putting this out there. Was that his motivation? Rifka, he you want to say? said that he was surprised and shocked at the severity of the yeah. So I don't but, know, mm -hmm. but so he also is talking about how, you know, um, that he, you know, he just wants to fight for freedom of conscience. It's non-negotiable. It has to continue. So there is some level of that, of what you're saying, but I just wanted to point out, so this law that protects Islam from defamation, it, it doesn't just talk about the prophets or the gods it talks about other prophets other messengers so if you were to insult say miriam or you know moses even mm -hmm. you know and then it also says that um the the precepts of the religion are um protected by this law whether that you're doing it through writing through um, drawing, declaration, or any other way. So anything you say or do or draw or, you know, create art, anything, that if in any way at all goes, you know, supposedly offends the precepts or any prophet or any messenger. So that, according to, you know, these people who are, uh, bringing these charges, just examining it from uh, an academic perspective could be considered some sort of affront to the precepts because they're saying it's just history and that's the way it is. Accept it, you know? Yeah. Literally. I mean, and to just to highlight something Rivka was saying, like it, um, to my knowledge, it didn't seem like you know, he, he really started out with this as his cause, but now that he's been faced with this, he's very clear and firm about, he's like, no, this is about freedom of thought. Like I have, a, I have to be able to say this, like, and I'm going to continue to fight to say it. So it seems like something that he's taken up. Right. So two things. First of all, D is saying, I have lost hope. Mythology is winning. D, your your methodology of trying to figure out trends is extremely flawed. If you're using one-off stories to figure out who's winning and who's losing uh, over long term, like you are, you then you have to completely go and reevaluate how you judge about global trends. Like you're looking at this story and you're saying you lost hope. Very flawed methodology. Go and try to improve on that. Um, and another thing is that if somebody is look, li listening to the story and they think that, um, oh, wow, why did he say that? This is what he is. He, li he lives in an Islamic country uh, and he's surprised that this happened to him. Um, well, then you're an idiot because I'm pretty sure that he understands the risks. Um, um, 
he in his country maybe he could assess it a little bit better than you probably maybe not right but again I'm. I think that if you're not surprised, maybe you're ignorant about Algeria. Just because some in a country is Islamic, that doesn't mean that stuff like this is definitely going to happen. Like, I think maybe I think the people who know more about Algeria, this would be shocking to them. I think maybe I'm wrong, right? But I'm just saying, like, if you think like, oh, Islamic country, obvious. This is obviously the result. Then you have a very simplistic way of evaluating what is surprising and what's not the, the being surprised and again my view on algeria is that again which is not very detailed but my assumption was that this is not something that is common in algeria to happen and his surprise of how harsh the sentence was is justifiable like it's justified that he's surprised rifka so um, there's this has happened before. Um, there was someone in 2020 who had a 10-year prison sentence and a fine. His name was Yassin Mabaki for charges he supposedly offended the prophet and because apparently they found a Quran in his house that was ripped. Oh, we covered okay. that story. Yeah, we covered right. that story. And then there was another one in 2016 who was a Christian convert got three years in prison for Facebook posts, supposedly criticizing religious ideas. So it has how many, how many years? Three. Right. So, so it has were... some precedent, but it's not something that That's you it. hear about, like in Pakistan, like, you know, every day, mm. every week, you know, and, and those were more direct intentional offense. Like, I think like the, what this surprising about this is that this, this um, professor, right? Am I saying it right? Or is it? Is he a professor? Yes. Well, he's uh, an academic. I'm not he's sure. A he's a scholar. He's a scholar. Like he's uh, he's specifically like it. It was so obviously not intended for offense. You know what I mean? Like those other situations in Algeria where they got like reactions. One of them was ripping at the Quran. The other one like made a Facebook post was like directly confrontational. This guy was like. Yeah, I'm academically analyzing this in a very objective and non-offensive way. So I think like maybe there wasn't a precedent for something like this to get such a harsh sentence in Algeria. Maybe that's why he found it surprising. Do, do you think that's fair, Rivka? Well, except for the recent story of um, yes, seen. I can't remember his name. That wasn't intentional. Um, I they actually the reporting that I read on it made it seem like he was framed for other anti-government protesting that he was done. They went into his house, found a Quran that they deemed to be damaged and uh, presumably put it on him. Whereas other sources that I read said that it was actually just a really old copy of the Quran from his father. So it's not that he was just tearing apart the pages and he wasn't, even if that that was the case, it's not like he was doing it publicly. It would have been in private in his home. They just found a damaged Quran. Yeah, we don't want to get too much into detail, but that just means that that doesn't set a precedent for this one. Well, I just wanted to bring up the point that you said, you asked, and I said, you know, he honestly may have been surprised by this because he is an Islamic scholar. He does study certain you know sects of islam he's looking at it from an academic perspective he i think that maybe that surprised him that perhaps he thought that talking about the history 
or as you were saying, you know, the evolution of the religion itself was not the same as maybe saying defamatory things or Facebook posts or, you know, that because he's an academic, that maybe that gave him some veneer of protection. And apparently it does not. Yeah. So, yeah, very good point. But and my, what I'm saying is that his surprise is justifiable, regardless of some idiots thinking that, oh, no, it's an Islamic country. He should not be surprised. I think his surprise is justified. Um, we want uh, you want to read this before we go to the next news? Um, no, that'll send us down another rabbit hole. Okay, no. Um, all right. Can we clap for the next news? Yes. Next news. Next news. Atheist activist Zara K speaks out for the first time since her arrest in Tanzania. Woo! Yay! Yay, Zara K. Um, and you know, a lot of you guys have been asking a lot of questions about what happened to her while she was in Tanzania, and now she's giving more details about it publicly. Um, so uh, Zarke, a Tanzanian Australian, is known for her work as an ex Muslim and atheist activist. Kay recently spoke publicly for the first time about how the Tanzanian police were paid bribes by her former Muslim community to arrest her and have her raped in jail in retaliation for her anti-Islam activism. Uh, and some background. She grew up within the Koja Shia Ithna Shari uh, Jamaat community, which is a global Shia Muslim community. After leaving Tanzania and gaining Australian citizenship, she started the foundation Faithless Hijabi, which helps Muslim women who want to leave Islam. In February 2020, Zara flew to Tanzania for a family emergency, and due to the uh, global event, again, coded language for the YouTube algorithm, she extended her stay. On December 28th, she was called into the police station. While in custody, she was verbally harassed by officers and awoken to police groping her until she screamed until other uh, detainees reacted. Quote, leaders from my formal community actually paid a bribe to imprison me for a few nights, and that's why my bail wasn't processed. And they were also paid to rape me in jail, she says. Zara and a representative of her legal team also spoke about the lack of support they received from the Australian government throughout her ordeal. Okay, well, if, if this is true, it's, it's insane. Um, just so, just for the record, just because we're friends with Zara K, we're not going to ever act like any um, that any story is 100% uh, true. So we're going to treat everything as skeptically as possible, um, as we should. So, but everything here, if it's uh, uh, that is alleged, if it's true, I mean, the part that we know is true is the embarrassing way that Australia uh, treated the situation without much of a support, unless, even that actually we're not sure, unless they were trying to do something in the background that we're not aware of, right? Sometimes maybe they don't, governments do something. But uh, the, if everything is as we, as, uh, as, as it seems, then 
the Australian government failed one of their citizens and devalued the meaning of being an Australian citizen when one of their own citizens was in trouble outside of the borders and they didn't come to her rescue, mm -hmm. which is really embarrassing for the Australian government. And the Australian government needs to be called out for this until they tell us maybe if something else was happening behind the background that we're not aware of, right? But again, so guys, I know it's... Um, it's easy for us to just accept stories without skepticism, but especially when it happens to one of our friends. However, always, always, always treat it like and say, like, if this is put an if um, and treat things with skepticism, even when it, your tribalism might want to, you know, tempt you to do otherwise. But again, if this is all true, what a horrible experience. This is crazy. That's crazy. Uh, do you guys have any uh, comments on this? Well, look at the last Yes, yeah, so this is a really good article. Um, she uh these are the first times she's like spoken to the press since she got back home in Australia. So, like, guys, she's okay, she's safe now. If you didn't know that. Um, so she spoke to the Sydney Morning Herald, and this article that we're highlighting is from SBS News, and it's very detailed. And I encourage you guys to go read the full article, um, which is linked in the description. Um, and the article did a really good job of highlighting how she has been approaching uh, her government since she was even before she was even detained about her concerns for her safety. So very soon after she arrived, she was getting threats all over social media from her previous um, community. And she was documenting them. And many of them were, you know, politically motivated or motivated by her activism. And she was documenting this and even approached the nearest, um, consulate or embassy that represents Australia isn't actually in Tanzania. It's in Nairobi in Kenya. So a lot of her correspondence, she was reaching out to that consulate instead and saying like, Hey guys, like, I want you to be aware of this. I'm getting threats in this country. Like, what do you think I should do? And they basically were just like, Oh, thanks for letting us know, but like didn't really provide her any more help. And so then when things, when she was arrested, and when there was this huge ordeal, um, she got so desperate that she actually started contacting the embassies of other countries trying to seek assistance. She spoke about what? how she started reaching out to the German embassy because she's like, I might need asylum and I don't know how to proceed. But I'm an Australian here stuck in Tanzania. And, wow. um, uh, so, and then the, uh, DFAT, which is the department for, uh, I can't remember what it means. It's it, foreign affairs and trade, which is the relevant authority in the Australian government says that its consular staff around the world are not able to provide legal advice or intervene in legal proceedings, but can put an Australian detained in their region in touch with local lawyers. They also make visits, check in on a citizen's well-being, and issue replacement passports. Um, 
I consider myself lucky having an Australian passport, but at the same time, the consulate should have provided more support. They should have acted faster when they first knew about the arrest, Zara said. Um, and uh, Zara says that the DFAT only helped her get out of Tanzania once a team of international lawyers got involved in her case. One of them was Australian human rights lawyer Jennifer Robinson. Quote, my colleagues and I from Downey Street Chambers in London got involved re representing Zara because of the horrific ordeal she suffered in Tanzania, including harassment by the authorities, which we believe was a result of her work as an activist and human rights defender, Miss Robinson says. The charges that were threatened against her were completely unfounded. We believe that the reason the Tanzanian authorities were persecuting her and pursuing her was because of her work and because of her religious views as a woman who has chosen to leave the Islamic faith and assisting others. She was hassled and received numerous incredible death and rape threats when she was in Tanzania and prevented from leaving the country for some time. And then finally, this is what I thought was just like so important. Um, we were concerned when we first got engaged by Zara that the Australian government had dragged their feet on providing her the consular assistance she needed while in Tanzania to ensure her ability to be able to leave the country. And it was only after my meeting with the foreign minister's office that her passport was issued. Um, do, do we have do we have any verifiable evidence uh, beyond um, Zara's? telling uh telling everybody um like does she have anything for, that she could use as proof that she was harassed sexually harassed and also that that any of this has to do has to do anything with her leaving islam um a lot of verifiable proof Well, she said a source told her some of this, according to this article. So I don't know how you would prove that unless mm. the source came forward, which they probably will not do. And even then, that's still at this point hearsay. Um, so she's not going to be able to push this forward much without, without any evidence. If she doesn't have it, like it would well, just be I, her word. I don't know what I can say publicly, so I'm just going to not talk. Okay. To be on the side of caution. Okay. Okay. Um. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not. By the way, I hope like nobody thinks that I'm suggesting that without proof it means it doesn't happen, right? Uh, without proof. Not having proof doesn't mean it didn't happen. Not having proof means that it's going to be hard for you to uh, to make anything out of this, like to actually get justice, right? Um, I mean, yeah. So it's unfortunate. If if it's just her word, it's unfortunate. If, if 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 it happened, and if only she, if the only thing she has is her words, then it's unfortunate because there's going to be no justice. So, so yeah. I. I wanted to just say that, so while a lot of people were saying that they thought the Australian did, government did not give her enough support, they issued a statement to SBS saying the Australian High Commissioner in Kenya was pleased to provide consular support to Ms. K, including assisting her departure from Tanzania, return to Australia. Owing to our privacy obligations, we will not provide further comment. 
But the lawyer was saying, you know, if they had taken action earlier, a lot of these things wouldn't have happened. Now they're grateful for ensuring her ability to be able to leave, but it should not have required the instruction of lawyers to obtain that assistance. So mm -hmm. what she's saying is, yes, the government did make some overtures on her behalf, but only at the behest of lawyers. Mm -hmm. So they didn't do it when she contacted them. They didn't do it when they, you know, for any other reason, these lawyers had to sort of light a fire underneath them. Um, this is a good comment. She may have evidence, but keeping it. So the rabbit atheist is saying she may have a evidence, but keeping it to herself until trial, that might be a legal recommendation. Yeah, that might be the case. Um, um, yeah, also, um, like Rivka highlighted, yeah, the lawyers have said, yeah, had the Australian government taken action earlier, none of this would have happened. Right. Um, also, Zara's legal team made urgent human rights complaints to the UN against Tanzania. Action that Zara plans to continue on her own, seeking to sanctions Tanzania over her treatment. Um, and I thought one thing that was really interesting that's highlighted in this article is that Zara talks about how, you know, she, for those who are familiar with her work, she helps people like escape countries where they're persecuted all the time. You know, it's something she's very familiar or um, familiar and passionate about. And she talks about like, I never thought that I would be the victim because I'm usually the one saving them like saving people from persecution, like saving people who are put in these positions because they left their faith. Like I never thought it would be me. I didn't think that I would ever need saving. Rivka. So also I want to bring up something um, that is mentioned in this article a couple times is that Zara's family is still supportive of her. She has a very loving relationship with them. There's photos in the article of her with her family and I think that's important to highlight because so often people just assume that the families are always going to turn against their children. And that's not the case. And in the article, it says that when she left Tanzania, her, she says, even my dad and brother said, go give them hell, you know? So her uh -huh. family is supporting her. And this is brought up in the article as well is that she, uh, mentions that she feels like some of the Koja Shia community are upset that the family is still supporting her. And there were threats mm -hmm. against her father, you know, made, according to Zara, made by the police department and other officials saying how they would, you know, create ha uh, problems for her father as well. So they threatened her with hurting him. Yes. So, um, so it's interesting because her family is supporting her and is still, and then there, that also puts them in harm's way as well. So I just wanted to highlight that, that she is getting some positive and loving support from her family. Unlike so many people may make an assumption incorrectly that this is always the case that the families are, you know, not supportive. And it wasn't always that way. She had to work hard to get to the place where she is at, with her family. You Indeed. Know, and, and her returning back to Tanzania for the first time since she left, 
you know, when she was still a minor was a big deal and a big part of that. And the local community didn't like that. You know, they got upset and tried to bar her from taking her nieces to their school. You know, they didn't like the fact that she was around because she's so outspoken, you know, not a hijabi, a, a blasphemer at large, and a firecracker, you know. Um, and it's really heartbreaking and disgusting to see, you know, how far some people will go uh, in, in retaliation. Marcia is asking, why did she go to this country? Her family, that's her country. She's from there. She was born She's there. from there. Her family is there. She's going to and visit all, It was a family emergency, and even if it wasn't, she should still be able to go back. Um, I do want to highlight this. I know I'm going to get in. Okay, so worldwide social media for good oh, is boy. saying, hashtag I believe in women. I'm going to respond by stop treating women like children that need your pandering god damn it he's not wrong yeah anyways um do we is there anything yeah, else I think it, no i think i think you're right i think it's better to say take all women seriously yeah. or not even women take, just take, take allegations of sexual misconduct and abuse seriously, but you don't right. necessarily believe them. Exactly. Yeah, take them seriously. Investigate every single accusation. Um, can we clap for the next news? Yes, because it's last news and atheist republic news time. Next news. Next news. Blasphemous art now animated. Yes. So um, this is something we're very excited about. Well, on our screen here, Armin has a little bit of a preview, but this is just the still image. Yes. Um, we, we're animating is, our art now. This is one of the, our favorite and most exciting things that Armin and I have been working on recently. Um, so if you guys are not familiar, we have our illustrated scripture series, which we do at least at least once a month where we illustrate, you know, the most absurd, bizarre verses in religious scripture that we can find to help, you know, really demonstrate exactly how bizarre a lot of these, you know, holy texts really are. So, for example, here we have a selection, just a little... A little selection for your yeah, enjoyment. We're um, not we're not showing you the animated version. We're just showing you what we have animated because the animation. The, so the animation of this, the uncensored animation of this, is only for our patrons because, um, I mean the 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 first animation that we have is a little bit basic. But as more as we get more patrons, we're going to be able to eventually do like ten minutes animations of like scriptures in the Quran or Hadith or in the Bible or in Hindu scripture. So we're just getting started. I know the first um, animation that we have is like for the patrons is, is pretty basic, but as more people become patrons to watch this animation, it's going to become more advanced. But basically we took this, um, we took this comic art that we made um, 
and the uncensored version of it is now animated for our patrons, right? Yes. So do you want to, can you guys see or do you need to zoom in? Zoom in a little bit. So this is a, like I was saying, a, a choice selection from the book of Deuteronomy, um, which we have the comic version of this. We have titled um, Ball Grabbing in the Bible yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it is what happens to a woman if she uh, grabs the balls of the man her husband is fighting. Um, and let's just say the punishment is quite severe. Um, but I absolutely love, I am so obsessed with the way that our artist makes these verses comics because she always adds like her own little yeah. like verbiage. She like ad libs it. So like <laughs> there's too much fighting in, in the comic. And she's, Say that one more time. <laughs> Your mother suck punch. <laughs> Guys, this is one of the most ridiculous ver part, um, parts of the Bible. Like, it's it's so insane. I think, like, when it comes to Islamic scripture, um, the hadith, when it comes to the, the, the hand getting pregnant is the most ridiculous one. I think when it comes to Christianity, it's hard to top this one, right? I like, No, actually, there is one. There's the, this is the 200 foreskin uh, verse no oh, wait, that's actually, coming that, out well, soon and this is the old testament so it's not just christianity it's, it's judaism too because the old testament yes. deuteronomy is old testament yes yes okay so look at this um so do you want to read go through this so this uh, do you want to go through this uh, but let's let's Rivka or Susanna, which one of you want to go through this with us? I, I can do it. Um, okay, if two men are fighting and the wife of one of them comes to rescue her husband from his assailant and she reaches out, scroll down, <laughs> and seizes him by his private parts, you shall cough her hand. Show her no pity. Yes. So, guys, if you're a patron, the animated version of this is already available to you. Um, and thank you for being a patron because we're going to make the animations better and better. Um, eventually, one day, maybe like 50 years from now, we're going to have like movies, like full on movies based on scripture. OK, like like animated movies. So if, if we could ever get the resources for that. Um, but I have a question about this part of the bible right this bible verse Wait, because you saying i'm not gonna touch anyone's junk i can tell you that <laughs> okay um can i let me finish my thought please um and maybe rifka you could help me with this because there are no my understanding of scripture is when there's a rule and i've taken like courses on uh, scripture and stuff and the professor I remember mentioned that when there's a law, it's not it doesn't come out from vacuum. Like it's a response to something that was an issue that was like happening a lot that eventually made it to scripture. Okay, and as soon as I remember, as soon as the professor in that course mentioned that, I was like, "This is the verse that came to my mind," because I was thinking like, "What is this a response to? Like, how often were men fighting?" And their wives would jump in and grab the balls of the man that was attacking their husband. That the people at that time, they were like, okay, this is getting, there's too much ball grabbing happening in this city. We need to stop women grabbing our balls every time we're trying to fight a man. 
Like, can we? Can a man not have a peaceful fight with another man without having his wife come and grab your balls? Um, so they come up with the rules to chop off the ha- the, <laughs> the hands of every any woman that comes medals and two bros fighting. Right? Just let men fight. Just let men fight without having to watch their balls from their other opponent from the other side's wife, right? Like, it's too unfair. Like, you're winning a fight. Like, have you never been in that situation where you're almost <laughs> winning and you're almost defeating? Like, you're in a fight, you're almost winning, and all of a sudden you feel this tight grip on your balls from behind. The su- Like, oh my god, the wife enters. Like, two against one. The wife enters the fight. Like, how is it like... You know what? I actually I endorse this Bible verse. You know what? I changed my Rivka, go ahead. So there's a cu- there's a couple things at play here. I think um one of them is that, you know, the woman is intending to injure the man in such a way that he can't procreate anymore, which is a huge no no. And then also, um, there's a verse about um castrated men not being allowed to enter the temple. And so it's not just that she's trying to, and the reason I'm, stay with me, you see me coming around the corner. So it's not just that she's trying to prevent him from having children, but she's also saying that she doesn't want him to be able to worship, which means he's like a foreigner. So she wants to treat him as someone who's not part of the community. Like this is some of the discussion people talk about like this. So, you know, and the thing is, is that, it's there's this, I think, assumption that she's being selfish and she's making a decision outside of God law, God's law. Do you see what I mean? Like she's choosing to protect her husband rather than just re- or to change the dynamic of what's happening rather than just relying on God. And that's not her no. place. But how does her going after the balls prevent him from worshiping okay, because they just, talk about the castrated men can't be in the temple so if you don't have just balls I'm just, throw, the, I'm just throwing this, this out there as to where some of this because armin was like well what's the context for this you know yeah. i don't know but i know that you know not having children is you know a big problem not worshiping means you're like outside of the group outside of the you know uh tribe so to speak you're like a foreigner you know and then also taking your own initiative Mm -hmm. rather than relying on what god's going to do or not do you know she's not trusting him she's doing something and that's not her place so I, i i'm just guessing at some of these but this is where i think maybe some of the contextual idea of why is it so severe Hmm. um this is just men trying to protect their balls okay don't blame them um (laughs) i just want to highlight the funny comment because narumi wants a cookie narumi in the live chat constant is this is the third time she or he posted this because she constantly wants us to congratulate her because it, this is the third time. Like, I'm a believing Christian, but I don't mind your criticism and mockery of Christianity. It won't affect me personally. Okay, Narumi, do you want a cookie? Do you want a cookie? I mean, you're still a believing Christian, so you need to be embarrassed about that. So, But congratulations for allowing people to criticize Christianity. I guess, okay? 
Here, your medal is being mailed to you as we speak, okay? But, however, I think Narumi is actually butthurt because this is one thing that people do. People are like, you know what? I'm not butthurt. This is not affecting me. But I don't like your... There's something wrong with your art because they don't want to look like they're butthurt, but they like... Oh no, but what's wrong with the art? Oh, it's just boring. Oh no, I don't like the way it's drawn. They're like nagging. They're like like secretly, they're like butthurt, but they're trying to secretly hide their butthurt and criticize in a different way. I have seen this so many times. It's very cute. Try. Nice. Okay. Um, I just wanted to bring up that there's some, um, also some conflict between scholars about whether it really means cut off her hand, like examining the Hebrew and saying, no, it doesn't. It means, you know, shave the hair of her groin. What? Um, what? Yeah. I'm, what? I'm just telling you what this is, what? guy is saying is, you know, this is what he's claiming the Hebrew. And then they're also claiming that in Assyria, there was a law for the Assyrians, not the Jews that, a woman's finger is cast to be amputated if she uh, injures a man's testicles. So I don't know if that's true or not, but these are some things that scholars are saying because I was looking up like how to look at this. Real scholars? They're all biblical scholars. So I'm just saying that because also you have to understand in Judaism, there's a constant arguing back and forth about what is the meaning of this. And some people dedicate their whole lives to one phrase. Oh my God. So that might be part of what this is going on to. No, it doesn't mean that. It means this. No, it's actually based on the Assyrian law. No, you know, blah, blah, blah. I do want to hold on. Hello, Armin. Did you see this? Yeah, I know. It's, it's but oh, okay. But like, pour some water on that butt hurt. Um, hold on. Like, I do want to highlight something here. Yeah, look at this. Okay, this is a part of the Bible. You know, a lot of people think that the most rid- okay. So here's the thing: the most shocking parts of these things, ridiculous parts of the Bible, is the, you know, the ball grabbing, the hand cutting. But I know most people don't see it my way. I personally find the most ridiculous part of the Bible, uh, many parts of the Bible or the Quran, is this part. This this part that most people don't find shocking. This, to me, is the most ridiculous part, okay? Because there's a lot of commandments in the Bible and the Quran when it comes to do this, take this action, don't do this action, like cut off someone's hand, cut off someone's this, penis, head, whatever. Um, But And which you could do. But it always amazes me the commandments to certain emotions in the Quran or in the Bible, as if anybody has any control over that. You know, these are impossible. This is what I'm telling you. The Yahweh, Jesus, and Allah are not just tyrants of your actions. They're tyrants of minds as well. Like they're trying to dictate what you feel not not just what you do but also what you feel when jesus commands you to love him as if that is something that is up to be commanded <laughs> as like how that is not a choice and this is also an example of that so from all like again most people when they see this verse they're like what the hell ball grabbing hand cutting what the hell is this but the highlight of this verse for me is this last part 
show her no pity. As if you can control that. This is again, this is why Yahweh is a tyrant of your mind. He's trying to control how you feel. And imagine the God of love commanding you to not show pity over cutting the hands of your own wife. Like the husband himself is commanded by Yahweh to show no pity watching her hands being amputated. Watching her own wife being amputated, God is commanding you to show no pity. It's amazing. Uh, so I just want to say absolutely 100% Yahweh in the Old Testament is not the God of love. He is mm -hmm. not ever really talking about that. He chooses people, but not because he necessarily loves them, because he's elevating them. And their job is to follow the rules that he has set down for them because he has chosen them. Not the, the, the love stuff. That's uh, that comes later with hippie Jesus. You know, that was his, you know, uh, big uh, change and also his, uh, you know, blasphemy almost by talking about it in a different way. You know, Yahweh is not talking about love. You know, I don't know. He's not. I, I mean, that's not the sense of what's happening in the relationship between the tribes of Israel, the, you know, the Canaanites, the, the Jews, and their God. It's not about love. It's about a covenant, which is a set of rules. So it's basically, you know, a contract between God and these people, mm -hmm. irrespective of you know, any kind of emotion of love or, you know, he talks about caring for him as a family, but as a father would, which means you have to be strict sometimes and you have to do things they may not like because it's for their own good, but nothing about love. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've so read the entire I've, Bible. I couldn't find any love in any, in any part of the Bible, but go on. Suzanne. Um, yeah. So obviously this is censored because we, created some graphic details to really illustrate the point. Um, but if you would like to see the, well, one, the uncensored version of this comic, but also the uncensored version of the full animation, animation yeah. please um, become a patron on our Patreon. And to see the animations, what tier do you have to be, Armin? Uh, $5 above. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so the one dollar uh, tier pa patrons, they get all our blasphemous art, the uncensored version of our art for free, the non-animated one, five dollar and above, they will get our animation. And uh, our animation, it will get uh, the more uh, patrons go from one dollar to five dollar, the more we're going to be able to afford to make better and better animation. You know, I actually really enjoy the process of making this art, talking to the artists, animating it, going through discovering yeah. what we're going to do next. It's so much fun. So, thank you guys for making our work so much more fun it's like yeah what me and armin have the most fun talking about all the time yeah <laughs> anyways um if you have any suggestions for our blasphemous art the next one that we need to do um let us know in the comment section if there's any news that we need to cover next week let us know in the comment section and make sure you subscribe to our newsletter so you yeah. get the free version of our art the ones with no nudity, uh, 
but still very nice, very juicy. Um, subscribe to our newsletter. You get that for free. You get If you're subscribed to our, my, our newsletter, you get my book for free, Why There's No God, which is a bestseller on Amazon. You get that for free. And yeah, anything else, Rivka, Suze? We're good to go? Good no, to go. just subscribe. Subscribe. It's Hikmah. Ooh. It's kosher. And it's Dharma. Oh, I have one Do more it. thing to say. It what? is Hikmah, kosher, and Dharma. But also, I know, um, just shouts out to our viewers and our AR family in India. I know things are really, really rough and severe right now. So, yeah, I'm thinking mm -hmm. about you guys and stay safe. Let's make a blasphemous art where Modi and Yogi are making out. How about that? That's a good one. Yeah, let's do that. Good suggestion, Katie. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good one. All right, let's do oh, that. Oh, boy. All right, guys. Um, see you next week. I mean, no, tomorrow. Bye. <laughs>